Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening or a good morning as the case may be, wherever you are, and that is many, many places actually, from the Tahitian and Hawaiian Islands out west to the Caribbean eastward. The U.S. Virgin Islands, morning in St. Thomas, south into South America, north all the way to the pole, and worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM, and I'm Art Bell. Well, well, well. Let me tell you what's coming up. Tonight, in about an hour, the man who coined, actually coined, the name Operation Stargate, the government's official remote viewing program, Adele Graff, is going to be my guest. And he'll come and talk to us about uh, remote viewing. He is, in fact, a remote viewer and was an administrator for remote viewers. And so we'll get yet another angle on uh, remote viewing. It's, it's absolutely a fascinating thing. It always has been to me. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, we are going to have a very, very interesting guest. Uh, and his name is Bruce Rooks. Now, he just wrote a book called Hollywood versus the aliens. Now, the motion picture industry's participation in UFO disinformation. And the motion picture industry certainly has uh, done an awful lot on uh, UFOs and aliens and all the rest of it, haven't they? And then Friday night, Saturday morning, Dr. Robert White. Dr. White is the man, uh, the surgeon, who removed monkeys' heads and put them on other bodies. Now, when I talked to him earlier today, Dr. White uh, had another name for it. I think he called it a body transplant, but the, I think the net effect was that uh, one monkey had uh, went, you know, from one monkey to another. He is also a medical ethicist and a very, very interesting fellow. So that'll be Friday night, Saturday morning. I've been trying to get him on, uh, as you probably know, for some time now. I'm looking forward to that program. Now listen to me. Uh, last night, uh, during, during, in fact, during the program, while the program was actually uh, going on, and all day today, I continued to work on my studio cams until I got them right. And I finally have them right. I, remember, I told you previously that I am a little berserk about this kind of thing. And until I get something working just the way I want it to work, I will either, one of two things will happen. I will either break what I am working on or fix it. Now, my odds uh, have been getting better in recent years of fixing versus breaking, but I generally take it to that extreme. So I have my webcams working, and I really want your comments on them. Last night, of course, uh, they were working in and out, and I didn't have them all set right, and I didn't have white balances set up the way I wanted. Tonight, I've got it. I'm telling you, folks, I've got it. So I want your comments on my studio cam now. How can you make them? You can go up there. Uh, this, is, uh, this is something that, if you have a computer, allows you to see the program in progress. About every minute or so, 45 seconds, whatever it is, a new shot is taken from one of three cameras in here and uh, then streamed up to the net where it is disseminated worldwide, along, uh, I might add, with my show. You can get audio of my show. As a matter of fact, 
people with good computers can sit there and watch me and listen to the show on their computer at the same time. I'm not sure I approve of all this, mind you, or I think it's a good thing, but um, it sure is fun, and it sure is cutting-edge technology. So anyway, I labored uh, long and hard to get these studio cams the way they are now, and I hope they look okay to you anyway. I certainly am soliciting comments. So if you can, go to my website, www.artbell.com. That's A-R-T-B-E-L-L dot com. And uh, scroll down to the bottom. You'll see Studio Webcam. Click on that and uh, watch it for a little while and watch the cameras sequence through and let me know uh, how you think they do. I think at the moment we have one of the best webcams uh, on the web anywhere, period. He says modestly. Man, I, I really worked hard on it. As I said, I, I worked right through the program last night. Uh, that was an interesting program, wasn't it? It just uh, sh uh, shows to go you how I uh, seemingly love remaining out on a limb, uh, slowly sawing myself into oblivion. But it was fun. Now, obviously, I didn't buy into a lot of what Seal Turnage had to say. But you've got to admit, she had zest. And there was something about her zest and her love of what she was saying and doing that just drove me to keep her on. And we had a lot of fun as the program went on. It got more and more interesting. She is a ball of fire. Oh, incidentally, we're also working. Somebody came up with a really cool idea the other night. And that is for the hearing impaired... Um, a scrolling text of what's being said on the show. Now, I, I would like to talk to somebody at CNN because CNN, uh, both the main CNN and CNN headline news, are using some kind of scrolling text, a closed caption, and I don't think it's somebody typing in, I'm not sure, but the kind of errors that you see imply to me that it is not being typed in. And I've got some voice recognition software that might work. And anybody else out there with ideas, by all means, get them to me or get them to my uh, webmaster. You can send uh, Keith email up on the website. I am really intrigued with the idea of having a streaming, even if it doesn't get it exactly right. Well, I, I can see there could be some terrible errors. Instead of... Uh, Clouds on the moon. It could read cows on the moon. Uh, nevertheless, uh, getting streaming text up there on the website, it seems to me to be a really good idea. And I think it would be neat anyway. So uh, let us pursue that idea. If anybody out there, I know CNN must have some sort of uh, technology, and I will try mine. And if you have something up your sleeve, then let us know. We like being innovators, and uh, that certainly would be an innovation. Coast to Coast AM sure sounds great in the middle of the night. But you know, you don't have to be nocturnal to enjoy this amazing show. The Coast Insider is your key to a normal life. For 15 cents a day, you can wake up refreshed knowing that last night's show is waiting for you with podcasting. 
Listen on your way to work and again on the way home. Or listen to one of over a thousand archived shows from the past three years. As a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Nouri and special guests. The Coast Insiders Club is a must-have feature for all Coast to Coast AM listeners. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. You'll sleep like a baby, knowing you'll never miss your favorite guests and topics ever again. Remember, a one-year subscription comes out to only 15 cents a day. Sign up today at coasttocoastam.com. Get a new view of the world with Coast to Coast AM. At this point, I'm not happy with the direction that government is taking. I'm happy with the fact that Americans are beginning to wake up and stand up and do what they have to do and shout and scream and blog. And I think that's critical. And I think that's what's going to save the republic. I think in the long run, as we go through all this stuff, it's the people who will save us and our country will remain strong. Take Coast to Coast AM with you anywhere on your mobile phone. CoastToCoastAM.com can be conveniently accessed on your iPhone and most Android platforms, which means that you are never without your Coast to Coast AM fix. If you're a Coast to Coast Insider subscriber, you can listen to the show live in the middle of the night or previous shows 24-7. Plus, you can browse all the great photos, videos, and news stories. Keeping up with Coast to Coast AM has never been easier with our Coast Insider service. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM. Not everything is cut and dry, and I think people will look at events and say who profits, who benefits, and then they back into it with their theories, which many people would say are conspiracies. I mean, there's no question there's a facet of government that wants to take guns off the street, not just assault weapons, but pure right. guns. They want to get them out of Americans' hands. In order to do that, you need tragedies and events like we had in Connecticut in order to create the stimulus to get the legislature and people behind that in order to say, you know what, they're right, we don't need this, we don't need that. So I think when you look at that whole picture, as bizarre as it sounds, because you cannot see a conspiracy at every event, but you will look at these events and say, see, this is what they've created in order to get people to think this way. Bottom line is people don't trust other people. And that's why they create all these things. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. Okay, the news. What is the news? Puerto Rico is about to have another opportunity to become a state, the 51st state. Now, if I recall correctly, it was not that long ago that they voted down that golden opportunity. And now I think that I may be heard in Puerto Rico. If not, I know it's coming up soon. And I wonder how Puerto Ricans uh, feel about this. I guess I could ask all of you, how do you feel about it? If you were now not a state, and you had an opportunity to vote to be a state or not to be a state, how would you vote? That is a really interesting question. I mean, there are states that look to possibly secede. Hawaii, Alaska, Texas, 
Oh, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of news on Texas, and none of it's any good at all. Supreme Court says sexual harassment at work can be between uh, members of the same sex. And this um, this story comes from a fellow who was out on an oil rig with three other guys and was threatened with rape and all kinds of other things. And I think the uh, court has ruled properly, of course. Uh, sexual harassment is sexual harassment is sexual harassment, right? Now, listen to me very carefully um, when I tell you that there is something very, very bad uh, going on in Texas, and not just Texas, but all across the country right now. I have received literally hundreds of faxes and email from people about this uh, flesh-eating bacteria. Our KTRH, just here in Houston, reported at 3.03 a.m. yesterday morning that five more deaths have been attributed to the uh, flesh-eating bacteria, five deaths today. Why doesn't this get more coverage? And tonight I am asking uh, precisely the same question. I think it was two or three days ago that I did about an hour toward the end of the program, very tentatively, because I was getting so many faxes, so many emails saying, Art, this flesh-eating bacteria uh, is here, meaning Iowa, Texas, Oklahoma, Connecticut. And you may recall that it scared the you-know-what out of everybody not too long ago. And then the, medic, uh, the medics, the doctors, the uh, scientists came on and said, oh, no, it's been with us forever, which I'm sure is true of strep. Not this particular variety, uh, and that is, for some reason, it is converting into this thing that literally eats you alive. Here's another one. 89 cases of strep in Texas. A run for your lives. Uh, that's uh, what the uh, a person who sent me the story wrote at the top. Uh, actually, it's a uh, Reuters story. A bacteria that in some forms eats flesh has now killed 18 people in Texas in the past three months, according to the Texas Department of Health. It said 89 cases of Group A streptococcus had been reported in that state since December 1st. Here's another one. Art, I have the latest figures on the strep A outbreak in Texas. Count is now 89-18 dead. The latest, a five-year-old boy in Houston. Now Houston is trying to reassure parents. They really don't have that much to worry about. I've not heard the latest news of the Leander near Austin child that has been diagnosed now with the strep A. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I won't even bother to read all of them to you. I've got so many. And my question, I guess, uh, there's two. One, why are we not receiving this as a major national news story? from the major networks. Two, 
If the CDC is involved, which it would appear they are, according to the calls I've been getting in the email, that should make it a national story. Why would a why would a bacteria that lives in many of us, a pretty good uh, percentage of us, suddenly turn against us in such a horrendous manner? And having turned against us, why are we not hearing about it in the media? Now, again, the scientists who said what came on the air after the last big outbreak, oh, it's no big deal. It is very rare. We are not having more cases. Remember that? They said, we're not having more cases than usual. It's just the media is reporting them. I don't believe that for a second. I wonder if you do. If you had been in receipt of the number of facts as I had, uh, you would be screeching the way I am right now about it. Here's another gem. Federal germ detectives say they have come up against now a rare super strain of tuberculosis that spread with alarming ease through two rural counties in Tennessee and Kentucky from 1994 to 6. It struck 21 people. In the eight previous years, each of the two counties had recorded fewer than one case of TB in the total population of about 14,000. So I would say that the little things are beginning to turn against us. Why do you suppose that is occurring? Many of them are not new. It's like hysteria in North Carolina, in the estuary, spread now into the ocean. It's not new. Hysteria was an organism, half animal, half plant, that that sort of uh, was always there at the bottom of the estuaries, and only when a certain level and certain type of pollution reached them did they activate and begin killing fish, bloody sores, all that sort of thing, attacking people. And now this story that is being very, very underreported, and I'm being kind here, this flesh-eating bacteria outbreak of this, I suppose is, what do you suppose is turning, uh, why are the things that have always been here in Strep A, you know, it's, it's with us, but now it's turning on us. What have we done to bring Strep A alive? I use that term, of course, tentatively, but what have we done to bring this thing alive? And by the way, for the conspiratorial-minded out there, this late word from Dan in Lexington, Kentucky, Art, did you realize that today, March 5th, is a rather special day? There are now 666 days left before the year 2000. <laughs> well, it's March 5th in uh, some time zones out there. And uh, somebody else, else out there might try and confirm what Dan says is true. That number, it just uh, it keeps popping up, doesn't it? All right, we're going to go to open lines in the first hour. And again, look here. Go check out my studio cams. I worked hard on these suckers, and I think I've got them about right. See what you think. And it got done at about, huh, at about 4 o'clock this afternoon. That's how long it took. 
And I just kept batting my head against the wall until finally, uh, which occasionally does occur, the wall actually moved. And I think I've got it, but you can tell me that. Uh, take a look at the website and see what you think. It's www.artbell.com. And if anybody out there has any thoughts on why these little things that previously were not active, like this flesh-eating uh, bacteria, now are, I'd like to hear from you. We'll be right back. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time. Continues, courtesy of Premier Networks. It's great to be here this morning, and I really mean that. Yesterday I was haunted because, you know, when things don't work the way you want them to, uh, I just I can't, I can't stand it. It drives me absolutely up a tree. Somebody writes uh, from New Jersey, Art, there are 52 states. Puerto Rico would be 53. Yes, Mike, but uh, that assumes that uh, Alaska and Hawaii or Texas don't leave us in the meantime, but you're right. Um, <laughs> again, I ask, if you, uh, if you had the opportunity to vote now on statehood, I wonder how you would vote. We ought to do a whole national survey about that or something. All right, open lines uh, now. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi there. I can't believe I got in. I've been trying for some time. Well, here you are. Yes. Where are, where are you, actually? I'm in Toronto, Canada. Way in Toronto, all right. Yes. I wanted to say, I think it's... Can I take a breath? No breaths. Okay. Um... <laughs> yeah, of course you can take a breath. You know, just relax. That's the thing to do when you get on there. Relax. Don't worry about it. It's just two people talking. Yes. Uh, I wanted to say how much I enjoyed the program about the Titanic the other night. Oh, that was astounding, wasn't it? Uh, yes, and I had an experience. Uh, I went to see the tall ships. They're old ships, old sailing ships. 
right? And uh, there was about, oh, quite a few in the harbor, and I thought, I'll choose one, because I couldn't tour them all. Sure. And I I thought, I'll go on the Inca. Okay. So I went on the Inca, and, and uh, I can't see. I'm blind. So it was quite an experience to go and feel the ship and everything. And then uh, I, I, I met the crew, and they sailed away. And the next thing I know, the Inca sank in the harbor, in Kingston Harbor, Holy during a storm. Holy I mean, mackerel. Well, uh, it's a good thing, I guess, you didn't solicit a ride, huh? Uh, it's the weirdest feeling. I know. It's like, it's, like, um, it's like missing your plane and having it crash. Yes. And I wanted to say about this flesh-eating disease. We had a little boy die here in the hospital emergency room just Lately, they've cut the hospital services here. They're in Canada? Yes. Say, of flesh-eating? Yes, and he had the flesh-eating disease. He waited five hours to see a doctor, and by the time he saw a doctor, he died. Well, uh, thank, thank you very much uh, for that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the kind of call and email, hundreds of them, I'm telling you, and uh, faxes that I'm getting. This is a big story. And somebody out there is intentionally ignoring it, not me. Something has happened. And uh, you, no doubt, if they do begin running the story in the next few days, they're going to bring in some scientists who are going to say, well, we've always had this round, and these numbers really are not out of, uh, out of line with what we see in previous years. <laughs> yes, they are way out of line. So this is a big story. And, uh, and I'm going to follow it very closely. West of the Rockies, uh, you're on the air, top of the morning. Hello. Hello, hello. Turn your radio off. That's okay. number one. Okay, I'll turn it off right now. Excellent. Hi, how are you doing, Art? Fine. My name is Terry, and I'm in Santa Fe. Yes, sir. And I'm a little nervous, too, so let me catch my breath. Okay, take a good, deep breath. Okay. Um, the reason I'm calling is you mentioned that it was 666 days till 2000. Well, that's what the faxer said. Uh, he said as of uh, uh, March 5th. Uh-huh. Well, I ordered a uh, Steve Gibbs time machine, which came today. You got the time machine? Oh, you yeah. know what? I'm going to have Steve Gibbs back on. Really? Soon. Oh, yeah, yeah. He wants to come back on, and uh, I've got his number, and we're going to have him back on. I don't know, maybe in the next few days. Anyway, you've got your machine, huh? I just got it. I'm reading the instructions, and I'm, I'm getting ready to, to maybe try it out. Not so much to travel through time. People, people out there, my friend, uh -huh. are not going to know what you're talking about because we had him on so long ago. Steven, okay. Stephen Gibbs is an entrepreneur, scientist, crazy dude, who has actually built, actually built, he claims, a time machine. Now... He also has a time machine catalog. Did yeah. you get Did you get that first? Uh, yeah, I did. I bought his books, and uh, actually, I had a friend try to build one of his machines, but it didn't work. So I think we I think he made a mistake. All right. Well, all right. Well, that may well be. I mean, Stephen's got it down. Um, <laughs> so we did. I don't know a couple hours with Stephen at least, and he's fascinating. I mean, he's, he's an average guy. But he really claims, and he, he gives examples of people who have traveled in time with his machine. And you don't run into this very frequently. So um, my question to you is, if it works, uh -huh. 
where are you first going to try to go? Well, you know, I actually, <clears throat> I actually had thoughts of wanting to travel dimensionally. In other words, travel to a higher dimension versus traveling to another time. Because he claims that you can use it for that as well. Okay. Uh, in other words, we're supposedly in the third dimension, and I'd like to travel to the fourth or the fifth dimension, which supposedly exists right here now. We just can't see it. We can't feel it because it's, it's like a different channel. Well, um, <laughs> those uh, deep thinkers like uh, Dr. Michio Kaku... Uh, agree. Uh huh. So it's certain. It's entirely possible. Uh, right. Now, Michio Kaku would say, "No, uh, we do not yet have an, enough energy to travel." But um, of course, Stephen Gibbs' machine is a little different. And I don't know. There are several who say it works. Anyway, yeah. so you may make a dimensional hop, huh? Well, we're going to give it a shot. But uh, before you let me go, I just wanted to say one other thing about the. The fact that it was 666 days to 2000. Yes. When you said that, my heart about jumped because when I got the machine, the UPS number, the last three numbers on it were six, six, six. And I, It's not a big deal about the number. It was more or less the synchronicity. I, I know. And, and, then, and you want something? You want some more synchronicity? I'm not going to say who, <laughs> but one of my guests in the next three days uh -huh. has a phone number that ends in. Six, six, six. Well, that was the other thing. Somebody had called me, left a message, and their number had the last three numbers were 666. And then I was driving home. Did you call them back? Uh, yeah, I did. But I, it was just somebody that called me. But then I was driving home, and uh, the car that I was following, the license plate number was 666. Oh, so I'm going, you've got to be kidding. No, no. And so I'm going, well, this is... This is really kind of strange. I'm seeing these 666s all day, and then you then you come on the radio and tell me that it's 666 days till 2000. And I'm going, hmm. Now isn't that synchronistic? The end is near. <laughs> 666, come with me to the millennium. <laughs> yeah. Well. All right. I I appreciate the uh, call of synchronicity. All right. Well. Good. Good here. Good here from you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. 666, it's all over the place. But it's like, um, I'll, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like when you buy a car, uh, all of a sudden you begin noticing all the other cars. Uh, for example, if you get a brand new Geo Metro, I like Geos, so I use that comparison. Uh, then you're riding around town, all of a sudden you see Geo Metros everywhere. It's like Geo Metro City. And I think that's what's occurring with 666. I mean, after all, that is a reoccurring number. All over the place, right? I mean, at one point, consider, my website would have had 6,666,666. So, and for some people, that's too much. I mean, they're, they're ready to faint. <laughs> Coast to Coast AM sure sounds great in the middle of the night. But you know, you don't have to be nocturnal to enjoy this amazing show. The Coast Insider is your key to a normal life. For 15 cents a day, you can wake up refreshed knowing that last night's show is waiting for you with podcasting. As a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Nori and special guests. The Coast Insiders Club is a must-have feature for all Coast to Coast AM listeners. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today.
You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hi. Art? Yes. Oh, no way. Amazing. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, I've got a pretty good theory as to uh, what's going on. Good. Uh, I want to hear it. Where are you? Oh, I'm in uh, Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, Canada. Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. That's almost hard to say. Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Yeah. Let me hear Uh, Manitoba is the province, and uh, Canada is that... That that country from the north, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let me hear you say, unique New York, three times fast. Unique New York, unique New York, unique New York. Must be something about Canadians. You're the first one who's ever done that. All right, what's on your mind? Well, uh, you're talking. Uh, am I? Uh, are you guys still talking about this strange flesh-eating disease? Or am I hearing a recording on my radio? Or? No, we're talking about that. Ah, okay. Well, I've got a really interesting theory. Uh, I'll start with uh, the frogs. I, uh, you, you've, you've noticed that the mutations in the frogs as of late. It's the media's briefly touched on that. I meant to mention. I've got it in the other room, someplace. Uh, Today it rained frogs. Yeah, well, I forgot to bring in a tin. Well, well, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, what's? Uh, I know exactly what's what, what what's causing. I don't know why they're raining frogs, but I, I do know why they're mutating. And it's uh, the UVB rays. Uh, they're uh, steadily increasing. And, and uh, uh, why you maniacal oh, tree hugger? Oh, you. By all means, by all means, don't take anything I say for for truth until you find out for yourself. And no, exactly you're, look, you're, first of all, you're absolutely correct. That is exactly what's causing the mutations. They were saying that it was some sort of um, thing oh, you, from snakes, you know, or something. Oh, That's no, a no. bunch of bull. It's oh, you wouldn't even believe what they tell us here in Winnipeg. We had it on the front page of our newspaper. They were saying uh, this boy had a, a frog in his hand, and he was saying, uh, he's not a freak, he's my friend. And uh, they interviewed um, the head of the zoology department. Uh, I believe it was either the University of Manitoba or the University of Winnipeg, one or the other. Uh, and he had said that this was just a curiosity. But uh, it's, it's well a substantiated fact, uh, going back, I believe, all the way back to 1978. And tests after tests have confirmed this. Uh, and what they did was um, they just took some, um, uh, what are they, tadpoles, the eggs in the, in the pond, yep. put a UV bil- UVB filter over half of them. And, and, and not and the other. And not the other. And, of course, what ends up happening is the ones with the filter uh, survive and become healthy frogs, and the other ones become mutated. Actually, a high, actually the results of that test showed that uh, a very high percentage of those exposed simply died. Uh, mm-hmm. The few that lived mutated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, another thing, another thing that's very interesting is the way the UVB is indexed. Um, like, instead of giving us the milliwatts per meter reading, now that's the number we need. Uh, instead of giving us that, they play all these games to justify their jobs. Like in Canada, it, the machine would cost less than $200, first of all, to measure uh, milliwatts per meter. Instead, uh, here in Canada, they're done in only two cities, uh, Montreal and in Toronto. And they do the readings for the whole country, and they're not even based on any local daily readings. They uh, you watch. factor in they factor in elevation. I know, I know. You, you watch. The day will come when they will be giving regular UV danger indexes, and people will stop going outside. Well, and before you know it, they're going to be eating Ed Dame's survival. Well, stuff. it causes it, it 
causes cancer. Like it's it's extremely serious. Like another, uh, and and that's partly why I think it's. Uh, you know, we have alternate energy sources, and we've had alternate energy sources for uh, over 100 years. It's amazing that I get to talk to you because a lot of people are familiar with these things, like Tesla. He came up with free energy 100 years ago. We have fuel okay, cells. listen, listen. Oh, okay, but anyway, I'll just finish the... I'll just finish the, the uh, Don't the start me on that because there are, there's no reasonable um, current free energy device that you can go out and get until there is. Oh, we have. There's buses in Vancouver. There's buses in Francisco and Chicago. I know about Ballard. They run, on, they run just on hydrogen. But one other thing about the frogs, though. The frogs that are, are the dev devastated the first, the first ones that go um, extinct, are the ones that have the, less, the least amount of photolase. And photolase is an enzyme yep. that protects... Uh, the DNA from the radiation, and when and when you have the mutate mutations happening with the radiation, the enzyme goes in there and corrects it. Now the least the the little the smaller amount of that enzyme you have, the more mutated uh, you as a species will become. All right, uh, but uh, it's a all right. Look, thing. I, I've got to leave the line now, sir. Oh, okay, right. thanks for your time. All right, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Now maybe there will be <laughs> there'll be a campaign to get us used to the fact that frogs have you know like eight or nine legs. He's not a freak. He's my friend. Look at him. Bumpy little frog. All nine legs. Aren't they nice? <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. Where are you, pray tell? Uh, this is a run in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yes, sir. The, chat bell, or the Art Bell Chat Club coordinator. Oh, for Sioux Falls? Yes, sir. Wow. Welcome to the program. Yeah, we are just having our second meeting coming up here in a little over a week. These things are proliferating all over the place. Um, We're number 28. Number tw Are you really number 28? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I'm glad to have you. Are you going to have a speaker? Uh, not yet, but uh, here on what, one of your guests coming up, I'd like to get a hold of him maybe. Which one? Steve Gibbs. Stephen Gibbs? You want to talk to Stephen, huh? Since he is just... You know what? He, I, I think he would be ideal for a chat club. And when I call Stephen, probably tomorrow... I will ask him about exactly that. How about okay. that? Okay. Okay. I'll send you an email with my email address. All right. And that I'm talking to Tim, and uh, unfortunately my information hasn't gotten up on the web yet, but... Oh, it'll make it. Oh, I know that. But they're, they're updating that as quickly as possible. Yeah, when we had our first meeting, we got preempted here locally when he was on because a basketball game went late. Oh. But I did get a couple people show up that heard it at 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, yeah, the late broadcast. Uh, right. That's right. All right. Well, listen. Long-time listener, sir, and listen while I work every night. So. All right. Well, generally, I found thank you talk radio makes um, whatever you're doing go faster. I don't know what i do without talk radio driving at night. I. That's when I listen. When I drive, and I love driving. And I, I'm, I think I'm a nocturnal human being, you know all these years of doing this shift, I don't like driving during the day. I want to drive at night. Oh, give me night any day compared to the uh, the daytime. God, maybe I'm... You think I might be mutating? Jeez, there's a thought. After all these years, maybe I'm mutating into some sort of nocturnal, half-feral human being. First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Ooh, that's a deep good morning. Well, you're going to have to yell at me. Where are you? I am in St. Catharines, so I will not be here long. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? And I'll call myself Diogenes because I'm looking for an honest man. All right. Where are you? Uh, you're, you're leaving there because of what? 
Well, I have maintained silence for 30 years uh -oh. under the agreements that I made with the United States government. But I think now is the time to, to tell all speak if one has information. All right. What does this? What is this in reference to? Go ahead, spill your guts. Well, I want you to think back to the mid '60s, okay. when there was a plethora of sheep which were killed near a place called Dugway, Utah. I recall. If one saw the Andromeda strain. One has some idea of the testing facility that was maintained at Dugway. Ah. What you were not told with regard to the death of those sheep was is that they died of a strain of botulism which had become capable of being spread by an aerosol. Since that time, we have had the introduction of perhaps five or six what were common bacterium which have now become a fatal bacterium. Including this new uh, flesh-eating flesh-eating strep A, a disease called Staphylococcus 542. All right, I, look, I'm faced with uh, going... Uh, to the top of the hour here. Uh, let me ask you two key questions. One, were you personally involved in this program? Yes. Okay. Uh, so the information you're giving us is first-hand knowledge. Yes. All right. Uh, you're on a line where you're paying for the call. I am going to give you a choice of holding you over and letting you pay for it, or I am going to come onto the line during the break and get your phone number and call you back so I'm paying for the call, but I want to hear more. Uh, or you can call at a future time. That's A, B, or C. Which do you prefer? Well, I'm going to have to call you back at a future time. I have some other commitments. but uh, I see. All right. All right, then. All right, then. Um, then be sure you do. Uh, send me email privately or fax me or whatever, and I will get you on the air and let you tell your whole story, all right? Very well. All right. Uh, thank you very much. We're faced with the top of the hour coming up very quickly from the high desert. This is Coast to Coast AM. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More somewhere in time coming up.
Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. I have, uh, for two days now, been laboring over my webcam situation, and man, are they working. Boy, are they working. So if you want to check out my studio cam and see the fruit of my labor, <laughs> uh, go right ahead. I, I, you know, I just got a call from my boss who said that the last three numbers of his social security number are six. Six six. So I told him, well, that means you're probably going to make a lot of money and go to hell. <laughs> We're talking about frustrating electronic uh, projects, and um, Alan Corbett, uh, that is my boss and myself, uh, I have a very similar electronic background, and he reminded me of old agony. Those of you in electronics know, in years past, not, you know, not, Modern televisions, you know, on top of the line, Protons or Sonys or whatever. But the older TVs, when I was young, I fancied myself as, you know, I could repair anything or break it. Then my, my, uh, my average was about 60-40. 40 percent of the time I'd fix it. Reminded me that um, of converging TVs. Any of you in electronics will recall... <laughs> It was Project Impossible. Televisions in that day really never did converge, for those of you who know what that is. That means that everything hitting the front of the tube is hitting it as it should, and the colors look just right. Well, they never converged, and you used to have sort of green around either the left or right-hand side or above or below objects. And it was an eternal challenge. It's like Rubik's Cube in a way, trying to get a TV to converge uh, in the old days. It couldn't be done. But I would spend hours and hours and hours uh, trying. And I received several incredibly, and that may account for my present behavior, uh, incredibly large shocks from televisions. <laughs> really don't know why I'm still alive. Forecasters failed to predict one element of the weather yesterday in Croydon, wherever that is. It rained frogs. True story, folks. The strange event was included uh, during a report by Suzanne Carlton at the BBC Weather Center, at C-E-N-T-R-E, after a distraught woman rang the meteorological, uh, meteorological, the weather office at Bracknell at breakfast time to say that dead frogs were falling from the sky and covering her garden and the entire immediate neighborhood. Staff at the inquiry desk had thought the call was a hoax until the woman's uh, attitude made them take her seriously. The national forecaster there said, quote, you do get reports of things getting sucked up by water spouts, which are rotating columns of water or tornadoes. It'd have to go over a lake or something with a lot of frogs on it. Well, I don't know if I believe that or not, uh, and I certainly don't believe the current uh, uh, reports or lack of reports, I guess I ought to say, with regard to the flesh-eating bacteria. Coast to Coast AM sure it sounds great in the middle of the night. But you know, you don't have to be nocturnal to enjoy this amazing show. The Coast Insider is your key to a normal life. 
for 15 cents a day, you can wake up refreshed knowing that last night's show is waiting for you with podcasting. Listen on your way to work and again on the way home. Or listen to one of over a thousand archived shows from the past three years. As a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Nuri and special guests. The Coast Insiders Club is a must-have feature for all Coast to Coast AM listeners. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. You'll sleep like a baby, knowing you'll never miss your favorite guests and topics ever again. Remember, a one-year subscription comes out to only 15 cents a day. Sign up today at coasttocoastam.com. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM. Not everything is cut and dry, and I think people will look at events and say who profits, who benefits, and then they back into it with their theories, which many people would say are conspiracies. I mean, there's no question there's a facet of government that wants to take guns off the street, not just assault weapons, but pure right. guns. They want to get them out of Americans' hands. In order to do that, you need tragedies and events like we had in Connecticut in order to create the stimulus to get the legislature and people behind that in order to say, you know what, they're right, we don't need this, we don't need that. So I think when you look at that whole picture, as bizarre as it sounds, because you cannot see a conspiracy at every event, but you will look at these events and say, see, this is what they've created in order to get people to think this way. Bottom line is people don't trust other people, and that's why they create all these things. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. Well, let me tell you now a little bit about Dale Graff. We're, we're about to talk uh, about remote viewing. It is a fascinating topic, and when they sent the literature on Dale Graff, it read about like this. Former director of government's Stargate program speaks out. For 17 years, Dale Graff was the leading researcher and expert in the Defense Department in the area of uh, parapsychological phenomenon, ESP, remote viewing. He founded and served as the director of the controversial and secret Stargate program, which received federal funding to investigate and use remote viewing to gather intelligence information. You tonight, how his expertise in parapsychological phenomena led to a, a formation of what we now know to be Stargate, how the U.S. used psychics to gather information and intel, He's been in all kinds of alphabet agencies. We'll roll through that in a minute. He, Dale Graff, was interviewed on the Nightline program in 1995 when all of this was uh, broken publicly. Uh, as a matter of fact, they did a full program on Stargate, and Dale was one of those on Nightline. I talked to Dale, I think, about a year ago, and he was not ready to come forward at that time. Here from, if I recall correctly, the state of Maryland is Dale Graff. Dale, welcome. Yes, hello, welcome. Is that? Didn't I call you about a year ago? Yeah, it was about a year, year and a half ago. I remember that. Uh, and we talked, and for some reason then you weren't quite ready to say anything. How come? 
Well, I thought it was premature. I was working on a book, and I just simply wanted to concentrate on that. And it just didn't seem like it was the right time. Okay. Uh, your book is now out, right? Yes, it is. All right. Um, that would be the right time. All right. Uh, you have been in – let's get this up front, because when, when it dribbles in later – People send me faxes and email, and they say, what a bunch of bunk. This guy was CIA or NSA or whatever. So right up front, what agencies have you been in? Okay. My, I started off with the Air Force, which is a part of the Department of Defense. DOD. DOD, and then I eventually moved to the Defense Intelligence Agency. DIA. So I've only uh, ever been in the Department of Defense. The uh, program that originally uh, initiated remote viewing research at the Stanford Research Institute in 1972 was initially sponsored by the CIA, but they bowed out uh, about a year and a half after that. So the primary responsibilities for keeping the remote viewing research alive, and then later on when an uh, independent group came in within government, to help set up the um, in-house remote viewing group at the Army area in Fort Meade, Maryland. That was also DOD. Why, why, did, um, why did the first agency bow out? Uh, why did well, they... my understanding, and I've had some long discussions with the principal researchers there, uh, Dr. Harold Putoff particularly, that this was politically driven because the original, original funding that was covering the, the early exploratory work uh, in remote viewing research was in some group that did a lot of other unusual activities, and that whole area was canceled. So that was one of the main reasons. It was part of a, uh, an area that was simply uh, demolished at the time, so to speak. So uh, they lost their funding through that, and I'm sure there were probably other reasons, too. Well, one of the reasons that I've heard was the big accusation that we canceled it because it didn't work. Well, now, I was talking about the early... The early discontinuation in 1973. I, I realize that, but I mean the ultimate uh, end of the program, and by the way, I don't believe it's ended. We'll, we'll talk about that. Okay. But, but um, the ultimate reason for cancellation, and supposedly why the government is now no longer doing this sort of thing, is because it didn't work. Would you like to address that? Well, yes. The, uh, the final report, the report that was finally published in 1995, uh, which was a sponsored uh, by the CIA. Uh, the CIA didn't do the report. They just paid for an external agency to do that. I uh, recommended that the, um, the effort be discontinued. But that was only based on the last two years of the project activity, which by that time had been named Stargate. And, uh, you, named, you named it Stargate. Yes, right. When I eventually became the uh, chief or the director of the Stargate unit in, 19, in 1989, thereabouts, until I retired in 1993, when I first uh, took over the area, I uh, renamed it. And of course, this was fairly standard when when you change uh, uh, responsibilities sure. to change names. Sure. In fact, it's almost automatic that you do this on any project. Sure. I coined the name Stargate. Now we had a group meeting on this, and there were a number of names considered, but none made any sense. I liked. I wanted to have a name that had a ring to it, that had some symbolism to it. Oh, this does. So uh, I came up with this. It was kind of a compromise, but, but I came up finally with, with the name Stargate because I felt it symbolized the, uh, an innovative project for reaching beyond 
the horizon of uh, human potential. So it just it just seemed like a good name to have. It is a good name. Now, this is before that movie came out. There was a movie that came out a year or two later, also called Stargate. I know. Did they, did, they, did, they, <laughs> did they borrow that from you? I I don't think so, because I, the movie was probably in, in progress at the time. Uh, it would be surprising if they, they borrowed it. I, I don't know. But well, you know, uh, Stargate now, the implication, I, I interview a lot of uh, very interesting people, among them uh, Dr. Michio Kaku, uh, one of the leading um, uh, theoretical physicists in the country, and he believes that an actual Stargate uh, is possible, uh, that one could actually be built. Now, there are many ways of reaching out across the stars. Is remote viewing one of those ways? Uh, as far as time travel or, or, or accessing information at distant galaxies, is that what you're asking? Well, let me put it this way. Um, I have interviewed many, many remote viewers who were in your program. Right. Many of them, um, Dale, and I'm probably jumping way ahead here, and I, I am jumping way ahead, um, indicate to me that they have met all sorts of unexplainable entities uh, that one might characterize in all sorts of, of ways uh, while remote viewing. Yes, well, I, I don't really know how to comment on that. The, uh, the only thing I can say is that whenever you do any work in uh, this mental framework, you will be bumping into perhaps symbolic aspects. Uh, Carl Jung, one of my favorite psychologists, would, would have terms like archetypes. Uh, these could be representative of something within the psyche. And I really am not sure if they at all represent anything beyond that. I'm not saying they don't. So it could be the person's own psyche as well. Yeah, right. You know, I, I kind of see them almost as, as uh, aspects of oneself. All right, well, the whole idea, as I understood it, of remote viewing was that a remote viewer separates himself, is trained to separate himself from his own imagination. Well, that's a nice ideal. But uh, I really don't think, in practice, you can assume that that's what's happening. The uh, things will come in. It's very difficult to separate yourself totally from other aspects of your psyche. But in the military program, that is a, de a defense department program, that's what they tried to do. That was the goal, wasn't it? No. No? Uh, oh, the no. goal was not that at all. The goal was just simply to uh, rely... Um, again, let me talk about a basic remote viewing protocol, which... Basically, it came out of the laboratory work at the um, Stanford Research Institute in the early 1970s. Right. There was nothing really unusual about it. And in fact, this is what I'm trying to do in my book, Tracks in the Psychic Wilderness. I'm trying to show that this phenomenon is a very natural kind of capability that we all have. That we all have. Yes, and there's nothing unusual about it. It's, it's, I use terms like extending intuition. And what we're doing is making intuition more specific. Uh -huh. We're capturing those basic impulses that we pick up through our psychic senses. And I do like the word psychic, even though a number of people, some of my colleagues do not. Uh, we pick up these impressions through whatever the psychic mechanism is. And in the research community, this is referred to as psi, P-S-I, psi phenomenon. Not like that term, because it's very neutral. And, is, is, it, is it real? Is psi phenomenon real? Yes. The... Uh, it, after being after working with this area for over 25 years, I'll definitely say the the phenomenon is real. And remote viewing? Uh... Uh, remote viewing, I see as a subcategory of, of psi phenomenon. Uh, a more, a more piece of it. I, I have frequently referred to remote viewers as disciplined or trained 
psychics. Is that fair? Well, or that's, that, that, yeah, I, I can go along with part of that. Um, the idea of being disciplined is, is, is up to uh, uh, discussion. It uh, depends what discipline you're talking about. Well, the proto I'm, I'm talking about the protocols. Yeah, right. Yes, correct. Uh, there are protocols that one follows when one is doing remote viewing or any other form of, uh, of psi investigation, you know, whether, whatever name you want to call it. Uh, you, you, do, you have to have some kind of procedure or protocol. You, you're going to may fool yourself. You don't know what you're getting. So in that sense, it's disciplined, yes. And uh, I, as I was saying earlier, remote viewing, in my view, in my estimation, is a part of a, of a larger um, or umbrella term like psi. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's kind of related to extrasensory perception, which is an older term. Now, anytime you want to do research or practical applications in this, using this phenomenon, you, you have to follow some kind of procedure, or you may not know exactly what you're getting. So I, I agree, there, there is a need for protocol and, and um, making sure that you're not being influenced unduly by second guessing or somebody's expectations. Your imagination, whatever. And the imagination is always going to be a tough one to keep out. And that's why when people say they have mastered that, I, I have serious doubts. Uh, I have not seen any evidence of that in the laboratory work. Uh, and even in the application work I've looked at over the, over the past two decades. All right, Dale. Who, who developed, came up with the protocols? Who, who came up with Well, it? the initial, there's several degrees of protocol here, or several versions of it, I would say. The, the initial protocol is fairly standard for how you do any parapsychological experiment. You know, there's the need to make sure the, uh, if you're doing experiments, you have to have some kind of target pool, something you, you can draw from that's homogeneous, it can't be second-guessed, randomized, nobody knows about it. So it's blind, a double-blind kind of situation. Right. So uh, then there's a, that's part of the procedure. Then the strategies that people use uh, can vary. And this is, I think, what people are quibbling over right now. People that are, have been formerly on the product, on the project have certain approaches, right. call them strategies, but there's a protocol there too. Now the early protocol was fairly simple, the one used by the uh, researchers at Stanford University. The strategies were left pretty much to the individual's discretion, uh, but the scientific protocols were the same, and, and those are the ones that should be the same no matter who is doing this. Uh, the, but the strategies vary. And I think this is where we're running into um, some differences in, in viewpoint from the, from the former remote viewer. Let, let me read you a fax that I just got. Right. Uh, it says, remote viewing or remote feuding. Hey, Art, is it just me, or do you detect a little bit of contention between the various remote viewing camps? I've been checking out the various websites, and I'm seeing a lot of, quote, I'm the only one who knows what he's talking about, end quote, attitude. Maybe... We could have a contest between the various camps, and you could decide who really knows what's up. Uh, the question is, why are so many people feuding like crazy, uh, people who were in your program? <laughs> that is a very astute observation. I, I like to, I like to send an email to that writer that he's right on on target. Um, it's a puzzling thing, and I've often wondered about this over over the years, and I've noticed this. With, uh, with different people that have even been in the, in the laboratory situation, not just simply uh, people that were on the, uh, the remote viewing project in, in government. I think there's a lot of, of personal ego involved. I think it's, it's like not invented here-ness. 
we see that all over in, in ordinary research too, not just this area. Uh, you get a certain personal commitment to a procedure, and it works for you. You know, and by damn, it's gonna it's got to work for everybody else. Is Ingo Ingo Swan the father of remote viewing? Well, this is the question as to who termed who came up with the term remote viewing. So you might be the father. No, I, I came in a couple of years after. So you might be the godfather. Well, in, in a way, I help. <laughs> Let me, I, I need to explain the history a little bit. All right, Dale, that's exactly what we'll do. We're at the bottom of the hour. Hold tight. We'll, we'll uh, pick up on the history when we come back. Dale Graff, who did coin the term Stargate, is my guest. We'll be right back. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time. Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. Dale Graff is my guest. He was a guest on Nightline when they finally blew the whole thing public. That in, in fact, our government, over a period of 20 years, I think it was, the CIA, Department of Defense, and many others had been dabbling with PSI. The ability to remotely view things and people and events, and possibly even view through time. They really never covered that part of it on uh, a nightline, but we'll talk about it in a moment. And we'll get the history of remote viewing. I know it's new to a lot of you. Take Coast to Coast AM with you anywhere on your mobile phone. CoasttoCoastAM.com can be conveniently accessed on your iPhone and most Android platforms, which means that you are never without your Coast to Coast AM fix. If you're a Coast to Coast Insider subscriber, you can listen to the show live in the middle of the night or previous shows 24-7. Plus, you can browse all the great photos, videos, and news stories. Keeping up with Coast to Coast AM has never been easier with our Coast Insider service. Get a new view of the world with Coast to Coast AM. At this point, 
I'm not happy with the direction that government is taking. I'm happy with the fact that Americans are beginning to wake up and stand up and do what they have to do and shout and scream and blog. And I think that's critical. And I think that's what's going to save the republic. I think in the long run, as we go through all this stuff, it's the people who will save us and our country will remain strong. Now, we take you back to the past on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. All right, once again, here is the man who coined the term Stargate, Operation Stargate, the man who was on Nightline when all of this was, and we'll talk about that too. I'm really, really interested in how it came public, but right now, Dale Graff, who's almost going to have to yell at us because we don't have a great connection, Dale. You'll have to stay good and close to the okay. phone. Um, give us a little bit of history of remote viewing. Okay. But before I do that, I would like to clarify the point we got off on just at break time. Right. The difference between protocol and strategies. Anytime you do any experiment, you need a fixed protocol to make sure that what you're getting is a valid phenomenon. And that's fairly well fixed. Just keep track of things, good record-keeping, that type of thing. Strategies is the attitude that people take in, the, in how they generate the impressions. And this is where the problem is coming in with some of the uh, former colleagues, I think. They have a certain approach, and they feel that that's the only one, and this is just an incorrect view. Um, the, the attitudes that one has and how you uncover this psi ability or remote viewing ability or whatever you want to call it yes. are strictly personal. Uh, so th this is why there's so much differences of opinion and I think dissension because then it becomes a, a matter of ownership too much. <laughs> so having said that, unless you want to comment on that. Well, um, only in the sense that now that you've, you've said that, I've got to understand the protocols. Now, you take somebody, anybody, because you say everybody equally... Um, and I don't know if I believe that or not, Dale, that everybody equally could be a remote viewer. Uh, others have said that to me, but there, surely, Dale, there, there must be some that psychologically, mentally, uh, with regard to PSI ability, are better than others naturally. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think uh, anybody is saying anything different. What is being said, the way I hear it, and the way I see it, is that we all have some latent ability to achieve some level of side talent. Fair enough. But it's like, uh, say, uh, a pianist. Uh, some people do real world earlier on and go into the concert. Others only uh, dabble away at chopsticks. So it's that kind of spread, I think. All right, to give people an idea, uh, now I have interviewed many times Major Ed Dames and many of the other remote viewers who were in that program. And, for example, gas canisters in Iraq, it is said, were located by uh, the remote viewers uh, years ago, and when they got to Iraq, they found the gas canisters, which were drawn in the place where they said they would be. Is that a true story? I don't know. Uh, it's information I just don't, I cannot uh, relate to. Uh, if it happened, uh, it was information when, when uh, I was not directly connected with the project, or uh, it happened at some point later on, but I am not familiar with that, that incident. Okay. To pass on that. All right. Um, if I were a remote viewer and you were my control, 
Dale. All right. What would be happening? Give me an example. I mean, you and I are in a room, and how does it? How would it work? All right. Well, first of all, we have to define how you begin the process. What is what is the objective? And I would assume that if you are wanting to do a remote viewing session, that there is some definition of, of the target. Of course. Uh, all right. Let's pick one. Uh, okay. So no. there, in the in the research environment. This is usually selected from a randomized target pool, and this could be from a dozen or hundreds of possibilities, depending on how it's set up and the purpose. The purpose of that randomization is to make sure that no second guessing occurs and to give your own subconscious a free reign. Okay, give me an example of what a target might be. Okay, if, if, it's, if you're doing a remote viewing session and the objective is to describe a remote area, then a target could be any geographic site. If there's somebody visiting it, we, in, the, in the early days we called this a beacon person. Okay, let's say a radar site, a Russian radar site in Siberia. All right. So in this case, in a case like this, now you're talking an operational project. So you have to now you already know the kind of uh, area you want to go to. That's right. So in this case, there would have to be some way to relate to your subconscious mind what that location is in, in the uh, targeting sense. Without actually telling me what it right. is. Right. Without saying, now today we're going to re remove your a radar site. Yeah. We're going to say, we're going to find some way to randomize or to, to arbitrarily label the target. And we found using some arbitrary labels, early on it was thought just an Earth coordinate. Eventually it was found that some randomized numbers would do the trick. Exactly. Now here's the part that I have never been able to comprehend, and maybe you can help me out here. You, as um, the, uh, my control, what? you would pick that. Would you pick that randomized number? Uh, it could, it either could be no, not the control. The randomized the randomization needs to come from somebody not connected directly with the session. All right, so it's a totally unconnected random series of numbers. That's one procedure. Yes. Do you know what those numbers are? As, as, as a control, as my control? Now, if you say control, if you're referring to as somebody who's doing the interviewing, is that what you mean by control? I, I think so, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. yes. In that case, then I would read the numbers to you. you or would, it, could okay. be, it could be some other thing. It could be target XYZ. All right. Would you know what the numbers represent? No, you should not. If you do, no. the, the experiment is contaminated. Not me. Not me, but I, you. I, that's exactly what I meant. All right, so you don't, you don't even know what the numbers are. Oh, you, no, 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 that would contaminate the whole process. Oh, okay, so you read me the numbers. Correct. I then, um, based only on those numbers, I begin to uh, visualize or try to visualize what the target is, and I draw yeah. uh, as much as I can of what I see. Is that about right? Well, that's generally correct. Some people prefer to draw. Others will maybe write uh, some feelings or words that come to mind. It's not always a visual thing. All right, here's what I don't understand. Here's where I get stuck, Dale. Okay. Uh, at some point, there has to be a transference from the person who decided what the target, the radar base in Siberia, was going to be, right. and the guy sitting there actually doing the remote right. viewing. And he, This is actually the, the, the biggest puzzle of all. Yeah. In, in, in fact... Any future research, I would hope, would, would help um, shed, shed some insight on this problem. It's a real mystery. But for the purpose of, of practicality, it's been observed that all you need is some kind of identification, some kind of link. 
you, know, you could put your thumbprint on the uh, piece of paper and it might work. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really exaggerating here. But you need some, something to, uh, to identify a, a link between the objective and, uh, and what apparently triggers your subconscious response. Huh. And I cannot explain it. Yeah, uh, it's it's really a mystery. The there has to, there, there, yeah, there actually has to be some form, in my way of thinking, of telepathy occurring between the person who is deciding what the target is and the remote viewer. There has got to be uh, some connection to that number, uh, some connection. Uh, or how is all of this happening? I just I don't. That's one part I just don't get, and I guess you don't either. Well, I have theories, and so do some of the researchers. Uh, one of the theories, which might even be the, uh, the leading contender here, is that the uh, remote viewer is actually perceiving his future knowledge. So that what you're doing is sketching something that you will then learn at some point later on in time. It's like meeting yourself. In oh, my. So, so that, I'm just saying that's one concept. And that is one that would explain it. I, that, that had never occurred to me. So that is almost, and that's almost time travel, isn't it? Well, in a way, because we still need to define what time is. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat comfortable with this concept. It seems to cover a lot of other uh, uh, problems which this field has. But in the idea of time, uh, let me comment on that a little bit. In, in terms of time, are we talking about probabilities of the future or, or, or something fixed, or what, what is the future? You know, so when it comes to time travel, I'm not sure... It seems to me that we may be projecting a probable future and, and, in, and anticipating these probable futures. We're not really ahead in time. We're just creating a scenario of a probable future in current time. We could be wrong. But you know, at the time the session is done or performed, it's the most likely one. If you follow what I'm, I'm getting at here. I'm not sure I do. Uh, it, it, you say it's not time travel in the classic sense, and yet... And yet, in my it, perspective, it, it really is. It really <laughs> okay, it's a perception of time. For example, again, I'm giving you my perspective, and a number of people will not agree with me. But let's talk about past time, because people have talked about that a lot, too. You know, retro time, traveling back in time. Yes, yeah, sure. Okay. Here it may be that anyone with the side talent or remote viewing talent, whatever you want to call it, is accessing some holographic type record and it's not going back in time it's just finding a place somewhere that has this recorded information it's like walking into the library you're not going back in time you're just finding an old book this is the analogy I'm trying to make well if we're talking about a future um, or an event distant geographically but in our current timeline right if I understood you correctly you said the remote viewer is somehow able to read or through the PSI talent actually report what he will know in the future and that's that, one idea and that's to me that's uh, that's time travel you can call it that I'm not sure if I would call it that I would call it accessing probabilities of the future in real time you know maybe we're just quibbling over semantics we are okay fine that's all we're doing but I don't see it as time travel. I, I just see it as you're sitting here now, and somehow subconsciously your, your uh, subconscious mind has rattled off all the probabilities that are coming your way in the future, and this is the one that's popping out at that moment. Well, yeah, but you could do that with a computer. Yeah, you probably could. 
Uh, but you, you probably couldn't remote view with a computer. So there's some difference between a computer, which is great at running through probabilities, yeah. and a human being, who, which seems to be required for remote viewing. Yeah, I'm sure there is. In fact, I would be the last one to say that there, there would be the same. But in terms of what is actually going on, I'm more comfortable with the idea of a subconscious way of accessing future probabilities. Mm -hmm. And it just happens to be where I am. <laughs> well, I don't blame you for not wanting to get too comfortable with the term time travel, yeah. but as you broke it down, it sure sounds like that. Yeah, okay, well, maybe it is. I just have a different way of looking at it. Uh, if you could, for example, leap ahead and understand your knowledge of your own investments in the stock market uh, two years or five years from now, you'd really be on to something, wouldn't you? Yeah, again, this gets into the probability thing, because when you're going into something like that, which has a huge amount of other interactions, you know, almost a almost an infinite amount of other decisions are going on in that time frame. Right. I would say the problem, if you do come up with a perception of what a particular stock might be five years from now, I would, I would give it a low probability of occurrence. There are too many other things going along that would affect potentially that outcome. It, it's a possible future, but I would say it's not a probable one. So here I go, back to my, my probability sure. way of looking at things. Sure. Um, and in fact, I think this is exactly what happens in most of the uh, so-called precognitive statements that you read about from time to time in a paper, or any time people try to perceive very far ahead in time. Things don't work uh, very well. Once in a while, you'll come into something that's very mind-blowing, but you know, was that a chance guess or not? You don't know. But but I'm saying I don't see an awful lot of evidence for accurate stuff beyond some near-term uh, field that we have. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just not comfortable with anything beyond, you know, a few weeks at a time. When you were in the Department of uh, Defense with this program, then DIA, yes. what was the general attitude about you and your group? Did they think you guys were out of your minds? <clears throat> well, there, there were people that did that, but early on we had some very encouraging people in a chain of command at various levels that thought we were not out of our mind, but that we were ahead of time, more or less. Here I use time. <laughs> there you are again. Yeah, you, you got me going. But the, they, we were looked at as sort of an innovative, um, creative group. Uh, but that was because the mindset and the, the attitudes of the early managers in our chain of command were, were very, very innovative. They were very uh, futuristic in, in a sense. Later on, when there were a number of people came on board at higher management levels that really did not have any comfort level with this field at all. And this is one of the reasons, there were others, but this is one of the reasons that the group had to take a low profile. Uh, in fact, one of our military commanders even asked us not to do anything for one whole year for a while. Really? So uh, there's a high discomfort level. And once we got through that, then another commander came in that didn't feel much better about that. So the later, the latter part of the program was dodging negative viewpoints from higher management. Yeah, I assume eventually as you got commanders, it was probably regarded by the commanders who got the assignment as a career ender or at least a career stall. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I'm pretty sure this is what drove what was really behind the motivation of one of the uh, the main military commanders that has his biggest say in closing the program. I, I think it had to do more with that more than anything else. And that the argument that the activity didn't yield any useful 
application uh, results, I think, was just a cover for for that that overall mentality. Oh, that's a very important statement. You're saying they ended it. It was political. It was uh, personal. It was prejudice, but it wasn't based in reality. You're telling me the program worked. There were times the program worked. That's what I'm telling you. And early on, had the uh, the review that if the review that was done in 1995 actually gone back and interviewed the people that had good success and looked at some of the records from, from the uh, 1980s and that early time frame, I don't see how they could have made a statement that there was no evidence for its, its feasibility or utility because there, there, was, there was stuff there that was really clearly quite good. Well, what about you? I mean, you sound like a very well-grounded, rational human being. Well, I uh, try to. Uh, that's so one of the reasons I wrote Tracks in the Psychic Wilderness, and that's to make sure that other people that, that want to take a look at this <clears throat> make sure that they do keep a grounding. Um, did it take you long to accept the fact that this was actually happening? Oh, absolutely. In, in fact, when I first became involved in this in 1976, early 1976, uh, I really had strong doubts that, that there was anything at all uh, valid going on in this thing called remote viewing or any form of psi. So you can do it as a skeptic? Yes, but you know, I was not the kind of skeptic that you find that rants and raves at the mouth. I had an open-minded attitude. Uh, I was very interested in creativity and things like that in general. So I, I didn't say no, but I, I absolutely did not say yes, this is great stuff. So I had to actually sit down look at the experiments, I studied the history, I had to take a hard look at everything that was going on. I even had to go through some of the protocols myself just to see what, the, what it felt like. What was the impact on you when it suddenly dawned on you that what you uh, were doing was real? Uh, that, that must have had an effect on you. I think, yeah, it, it did, but I've had, um, I've had other interesting experiences too uh, throughout my life. This was not that dramatic. Ooh. Uh, I, I just didn't feel that that uh, upset about it. You know, I, I could accept it. And I, what I was, what I said earlier, one of the biggest shocks I ever had, one of the biggest cultural shifts, was when I studied quantum physics. Ah, hold it. When I got through that, I, you know, I, my mind was blown. I couldn't believe some of those concepts. I, I agree with you, Dale. Uh, I'm talking about college level physics. I understand. We're at the top of the hour, so relax. You've got a good long break here, and we'll uh, get back to you. Dale Graff is my guest. He coined. The name of Stargate, Project Stargate. Because we'll be right back. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More somewhere in time coming up.
Somewhere in Time with Art Bell continues, courtesy of Premier Network. Once again, here I am. Dale Graff is my guest. Who is Dale Graff? He coined the term Stargate, Operation Stargate. And we're going to ask him about uh, how all of this got public uh, shortly. There was a program, a Nightline show, uh, devoted entirely to this subject, the ability to see at a great distance, or even through time, objects, people, things, impressions. It's a kind of a sensing. It's PSI. It's whatever you want to call it. But whatever it is, it does work. <laughs> and... Uh, I don't know if you'd call him the father of remote viewing, Ingo Swan, who you would really call the father of remote viewing. But here's the guy who coined the term and was on Nightline, and I'm going to ask him about it. I'm really, really curious how something like this suddenly, boom, like that, gets made public and how Nightline uh, grabs it and does a whole show on it. I'm really curious about that. <laughs> Coast to Coast AM sure it sounds great in the middle of the night. But you know, you don't have to be nocturnal to enjoy this amazing show. The Coast Insider is your key to a normal life. For 15 cents a day, you can wake up refreshed knowing that last night's show is waiting for you with podcasting. Listen on your way to work and again on the way home. Or listen to one of over a thousand archived shows from the past three years. As a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Nouri and special guests. The Coast Insiders Club is a must-have feature for all Coast to Coast AM listeners. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. You'll sleep like a baby, knowing you'll never miss your favorite guests and topics ever again. Remember, a one-year subscription comes out to only 15 cents a day. Sign up today at coasttocoastam.com. Get a new view of the world with Coast to Coast AM. At this point, I'm not happy with the direction that government is taking. I'm happy with the fact that Americans are beginning to wake up and stand up and do what they have to do and shout and scream and blog. And I think that's critical. And I think that's what's going to save the republic. I think in the long run, as we go through all this stuff, it's the people who will save us and our country will remain strong. Take Coast to Coast AM with you anywhere on your mobile phone. CoasttoCoastAM.com can be conveniently accessed on your iPhone and most Android platforms, which means that you are never without your Coast to Coast AM fix. If you're a Coast to Coast Insider subscriber, you can listen to the show live in the middle of the night or previous shows 24-7. Plus, you can browse all the great photos, videos, and news stories. Keeping up with Coast to Coast AM has never been easier with our Coast Insider service. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM. Not everything is cut and dry, and I think people will look at events and say who profits, who benefits, and then they back into it with their theories, which many people would say are conspiracies. I mean, there's no question there's a facet of government that wants to take guns off the street. Not just assault weapons, but pure right. guns. They want to get them out of Americans' hands. In order to do that, 
you need tragedies and events like we had in Connecticut in order to create the stimulus to get the legislature and people behind that in order to say, you know what, they're right, we don't need this, we don't need that. So I think when you look at that whole picture, as bizarre as it sounds, because you cannot see a conspiracy at every event, but you will look at these events and say, see, this is what they've created in order to get people to think this way. Bottom line is people don't trust other people, and that's why they create all these things. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. All right, Dale Graff. Uh, was the leading researcher and expert in the Defense Department in the area of parapsychological phenomena. That's, uh, that, that's quite a line. He was DOA, he was DIA, DOD, DOA, DOA, sorry about that, Dale, DOD and DIA, Department of Defense, Department of uh, Intelligence, Defense Intelligence Agency, actually. And by the way, the man you're listening to, Dale Graff, is going to be on ABC's Good Morning America on Tuesday, March 10th. This is the 5th. He's going to be on Good Morning America March 10th. So if you want to see Dale, uh, that's going to be your opportunity. So the major media is obviously still very interested in, in Stargate, in remote viewing generally. Uh, Dale, you're back on the air now, and I want to ask you this. Okay. How did the Nightline program uh, coalesce. Uh, how, I mean, what a shock for America. It was one night, there's Ted Koppel, there you are, there's others, and America is being told its government for 20 years has been dabbling in uh, <laughs> um, psychic uh, phenomena. Oh, yeah, that was quite a shock. It was a shock for me, too. Well, how did that happen? How did you get it on Nightline? Well, after the uh, that report that the CIA had chartered to take a look at the area right. uh, was completed, and that was done by an independent research group, um, the American Institute's Research. And when that was completed, it was actually completed at the unclassified level. There was no classification on that. And somehow a report, I shouldn't say somehow, after all, you know, this is Washington, D.C., somehow a report got passed around to the various media. Somehow. Somehow, yeah, and I'm not going to comment on that. Somehow oh. it got passed around. <laughs> all right. And um, I guess the ABC program people saw this as uh, a, a good item to jump on, and they just beat everybody to it. Every, uh, there were a number of people that got on the trail, but they were a day too late. So there was a lot of hustle at the time, but but the key was that report being made available in uh, inside the Beltway, and then it took off from there. Did uh, did you, having been DIA and DOD, did you have to consult or call anybody up before you agreed to be on that program? Well, that time I had retired, and uh, I had been retired for two years when it broke, and I did not because it, it looked to me like I was. I was going to keep my comments to within only those things that I knew I could talk about. So I just decided to bite the bullet and do it. How much, even now, Dale, is there with regard to that program that if you talked about, you'd end up, you know, behind bars? Oh, I think there's quite a few uh, boxfuls of data 
that still have some high classified uh, labels on it, mm -hmm. and that I'm sure has to do with places and people and that type of thing. I would I would never talk about stuff like that, but I can certainly talk about those things that already have been kicked around, and some of the open research uh, that we did over the years, starting from you know the early 70s. That we made every effort possible to get a lot of that released as we went along and into the open research. When this all uh, out there. When this report somehow got out, were you surprised or shocked or did you expect it? I, I was I was shocked. I, I, in, let me qualify this. Not When it comes to reports being leaked in the Washington area, I should not be shocked because that happens. But in this case, since I had this personal connection, it, it really was shocking. I was kind of surprised <laughs> yeah. to see that this got out so quick. Yeah. I knew it was going on. I knew there was a report written. I wasn't exactly sure if it was classified or unclassified, but even if it was unclassified. I didn't think it would get out that quick. All right. I'm going to ask you something that I ask every remote viewer I have interviewed. And I've interviewed, I would guess, about a half dozen now of mm -hmm. some of the biggies. Mm -hmm. So here it comes, Dale. Go ahead. Uh, if remote viewing really worked, which you affirm that it really works. At times, yes. You know, at time, even at times. Right. It would be a tool that our Defense Department or somebody in one of the alphabet agencies would absolutely consider to be indispensable that's the word I would think of indispensable and now um, while they say it all has officially ended I don't believe it and I isn't there every reason to be suspicious that at some level that we're not hearing about just like we didn't hear about this program until Nightline that uh, something like this with a different name maybe is going on uh, covertly Oh, I suppose that's always possible. But after knowing and being through the mill like I've been through, I would say it's highly unlikely that something similar to Stargate is actually being done at an official level. Now, I think because of the Stargate activities and all the publicity that a lot of people within government has new, got new interest in this, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if at an independent private level people aren't looking into this, but it's, I think it's unofficial. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that there are a number of people that, that would be um, very interested. And like you said, it is a useful tool. You don't ever want to use this kind of stuff alone. And when you get right down to it, Art, many people already do use their intuitive remote viewing abilities in, yes. in ordinary work. Talk about PIs and the people that, that require uh, this kind of basic talent. I think it's happening all the time. Anticipating trouble behind any certain door, you for got example. got it, yeah. And I've seen a lot of instances after the fact where the PI, photo interpreter, came up with something that nobody could figure out how he got came with that, only to be later verified, and he couldn't even know. He or she couldn't even know how it came up with it. So I think there was a, a little bit more than subtle intuition going on here. And this is why I think one of the accomplishments of Stargate as well as the worldwide research, which goes back into 1882 when it first started in London, England, and this phenomenon, this related phenomenon. And I, I think one of the contributions we, we made is to call attention to this innate uh, capability that we all have and to in, in inspire others to just to take a look to see what they can do themselves. And this is why I like to build it up from intuition uh, that's a very comfortable word that people uh, are used to, and in, in my workshops I, I use it a lot. And I even I even say uh, phenomena like remote viewing or, or telepathy 
or whatever you want to call some of these uh, forms of presenting it, is, is a way of making intuition specific. And it's just there in most of us. We're just allowing it to come forth. Uh, but there were, were certainly very strict uh, protocols. I understand the Department of Defense uh, protocols were extremely strict. Uh, was there was there danger, uh, Dale, to any of the participants in this program? And if so, what kind of danger? No, absolutely not. And this is this is where some of the uh, people that are being very open about this are, are really misleading the public. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because, as you well know in any government organization since the, the late 70s there are some very very strict human use review requirements you gotta really go through the hoops mm -hmm. we had to do that every year uh, show exactly what we were doing what the people were subjected to the types of projects and i'm talking about across the board for anything that involved uh, any 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 question of, of uh, human use that might be subject to this uh, you know any stress anything of that nature dale how were people recruited how were they recruited? Yes. This varied. Uh, early on, it, it, uh, it was somewhat systematic in the sense that a certain army group that um, passed out some questionnaires and, and used some kind of test procedure uh, narrowed down possibilities, uh -huh. and these people were then put through tests. So there was a, a formal approach, a relatively formal approach at that time. And again, I'm talking about the in-house the Stargate and its, and its earlier counterparts. Were you, did, did you adopt the uh, parapsychological um, uh, double-blind testing procedure? Is that, I presume people went through that. Yeah. Once, once they were identified, then the test that went through with the protocols, here I use that word, the procedures that were generally in use at that time at the Stanford Research Institute. So put them through the test to make sure that there was nothing that we were misleading or, or anything like of that nature, and those that did well then then moved forward. I see. Now there were other ways of, of finding people too, and uh, some of them we identified from the records. Uh, others that, that they had a, an, an interest or or experiences that made us suspect they could do well in this, or we, it was word of mouth, and uh, then we just put them to the test. <laughs> Uh, what an unusual, what a very unusual unit that must have been. Yes, and in fact, one of the uh, the, the many um, issues I think about over the years, there are a lot of things we could have done different. But you know, this is a an, really an an experimental type situation. It's new, innovative. Uh, there are a lot of things we didn't know that we know now. And uh, I certainly, um, and I know others that were directly involved in the program, if it were ever to start up again would do things quite differently in terms of selecting people, handling people, that kind of thing. But, you know, we didn't know everything at the time. All right. You have said that you consider it highly unlikely that there is even a covert program underway in this country. In terms of an official program, that's right. where I am right now, yes. Right. Uh, let me now ask you, do you consider it as unlikely that there is a continuing program in all, perhaps, Russia, or Beijing, or other um, capitals of the world? Well, I don't think there's any doubt that the, at least the research part, and also whatever you might call the applications part, is still going on in other countries. Uh -huh. There's a, a, a tremendous amount of interest, I know, uh, under the Chinese side. And what contact I've had uh, over the years uh, suggest to me that there is still interest in the Soviet Union, or I should say Russia now. I'm sorry about that. No, it's a, it's a perfectly proper slip. 
Yeah, I know. That's what happens when you've been in the Cold War mentality too long. <laughs> um, well, look, I, I'm sure. I, I'm sure, really, in my own mind, that I think today we live in a lot of ways in a far more dangerous uh, world than we did then. I mean, now we have to worry about suitcase nukes, mm-hmm. about a hundred of them or whatever it is, yeah. and biological warfare and all kinds of hard little things that we didn't worry about. I mean, back in my uh, high school days, it was simply duck and cover mm-hmm. under the desk. Uh, today, it's a pretty dangerous world out there, and so my question is, if, if they're doing it in Beijing, if they're doing it in Moscow, or Leningrad, or wherever, then shouldn't we still be doing it here? In view of the way you feel about the effectiveness of this, shouldn't we be doing it? I think we should be, but I may want to question what the application is. I would be more inclined toward applying this type of talent to things like predicting terrorist strikes or, or locating where, uh, say, nuclear weapons might be uh, clandestinely stored, that kind of thing. What about Saddam Hussein? Could you locate where the real Saddam Hussein is through remote viewing? It might be possible, but, you know, there's a, there's a problem here, uh, and it's called uh, time-space changing. You know, he moves around so much. That's right. The time you get information, even if he were right on, uh, it would be probably out of date. So there's the problem of how would you actually uh, apply this stuff in a reasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. So there are some real operational problems and constraints, as there are for any kind of data when you're talking about this type of application. Is there any uh, restriction with regard to the information you gather? And what I mean by that is, uh, can you can you gather uh, information, for example? Uh, you want to know what the next winning lottery number is, you want to know what the stock market is. I've had people tell me that that kind of information cannot be gathered, uh, that only uh, sort of positive uh, information can be discerned. Uh, Is there any truth to that, or is this... I would imagine any science could be applied in any way, good or bad. That's a good question. It's one I've certainly been wrestling with for 20, 30 years. Now, let me answer that in several ways. In terms of numbers, like in the lottery... I think the probability of success in applying either remote viewing or any form of PSI uh, is very low. Uh, in the research side, in laboratory work, we find that numbers and words are not uh, usually picked up. Rarely. It, it does happen, but it's very rarely. And I would not put too much uh, money on it if somebody comes up with a lottery number. So I, I think there's a, some kind of practical or operational limit uh, with the phenomenon when, it, when, it, when you're trying to apply it to this type of information. Now, in terms of the restrictions that go broader than that, I think that there's still an inherent problem with the phenomenon, and it's really this. We, a remote viewer or, or someone, somebody else with side talent, another kind of side talent, however you call it, might be describing the, the contents of a building, for example. You may have a nice sketch. You may have pretty things defined fairly well, but still be unable to identify or name what it is. Mm-hmm. And it streams, and this is where I think a lot of people get themselves into trouble. They think remote viewing, once you, once you can describe the remote area fairly well, you can do anything. It's not omnipotent. There are practical limitations, and I think it has to do with how the phenomenon works. Is that where the uh, danger comes in, that the person's imagination and ego take flight? Oh, you got it, absolutely. Now, now, you want to fill in. You know, you, 
we we still have that that fight flight syndrome in us. You, you have to know what's going on, particularly when you're working with this type of thing. You got a flash of an impression. You want to know what it was you saw. So right away, your imagination is right there, looking to leap in on you. Even if you draw a good sketch, keeping imagination out of the way, mm-hmm. at that point you're going to start uh, trying to decide what it is. Unless your sketch is very good, you probably are not going to get it accurately. Can so, you? Uh, could you, for example, assign a remote viewer a target like Jesus? I would think that that is really calling for emotional overlay, uh, imagination overlay. I, I, I would have my real doubts. Well, I know, but remember, they're simply being handed a number. Oh, I see what you mean. I, I mean, if you're using the original protocols and oh, they're simply you. getting a number, and uh, could you assign somebody Jesus? Yes. You could assign a, uh, in the blind, you could assign the name of any uh, particular figure. All right, Dale. Or whatever, otherwise. But right. I was... Dale, hold tight. We're at the bottom there. i got to break right here or I'm in trouble. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere Inside. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. Good morning, everybody. Dale Graham is my guest right now. We are about to open the lines, and I'll let you ask him questions. He coined the term Stargate. He was in the original Stargate program, D-O-D-D-I-A. And he was on Nightline and is about to be on ABC's Good Morning America. You're not going to want to miss that. It'll be Tuesday, March 10th, and we'll try and ask more about that. He's got a book, and I know you're going to be interested in that as well, and we'll let him talk about that, too, in a moment. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM. From March 4th, 1998. Back now to Dale Graff. And, uh, Dale, I would like to describe an experiment I did about a year ago here on the program. All right. 
um, which I, I'm going to be honest with you, scared the hell out of me. We were at that time, uh, as a result of your appearance on Nightline, uh, we were talking about remote viewing, and one night I thought, well, let's give it a shot. Now, what I did was technically not remote viewing. However, I picked an object in my home, and I asked people to try and visualize and draw that object. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't give them a control number or anything else. Right. I just said an object. Right. I had, I'm going to guess, several hundred responses. Mm -hmm. But I, I know two things, uh, Dale. One, my wife was here in the house with me participating. We both felt incredibly um, observed, I guess is the right word. If you've ever had the feeling that people are watching you, uh, you, you know, and you turn around and sure as hell somebody's there watching you. Right. Uh, we had that times a thousand. I mean, it was like a million eyes roving around in the house. Now, maybe that was our psyche. Fine. Uh, then the faxes began coming in, and people supplied me with drawings of what they thought this item was. Right. Now, here comes the scary part. The item was uh, impossible to guess. It was a marble, uh, a slab of marble with a photograph or a, a, an etching of me. And there was a specific frame that this uh, little piece of marble was sitting in uh, that could not possibly have been guessed at in a million years. And yet, Dale, two people drew the object uh, that was in my living room, nowhere near my studio cams that I've got here. Uh, two, I mean, precisely, two people hit it on the nose, and a whole bunch of people almost hit it. It was so uh, bizarre that it gave me the heebie-jeebies uh, until this very day. And I have just uh, now, because I have these wonderful studio cans, I have brought the object into the studio, and I'm holding it up so everybody can see what was drawn. I wish I still had the drawings. I don't. But my wife is in the other room and will confirm everything I just said. Is that, is that possible? Is that remote viewing? What is that? Ah, that's a good question. Here we go to terminology again. Uh -huh. Maybe it is remote viewing, maybe it isn't. Now, remember... Some people define remote viewing to be only remote viewing when you follow certain protocols. We don't know what the individual doing this information gathering was doing. But I don't look at remote viewing like that. I look at it as a process you know, which is kind of like um, clairvoyance or, or some other form of side perception. So I think, it, 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 in my viewpoint, it, it could have been remote viewing. There's another, way, another possibility. It could have been a mind-to-mind -mind type of contact. In the older days... Early term, term of the century, this was called telepathy, and I think even now, when people do remote viewing, there is still not enough certainty as to whether or not they're accessing the site or place or the knowledge of people at the place. So I still think of these possibilities together. They may have been accessing your knowledge. <clears throat> so I think yes, you had a valid phenomenon. I don't quite know what to label it. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. All right, um, we're going to uh, we're going to take some phone calls and see what people have to say. All right, uh, before you do, I just wanted to mention uh, on about the book. Because oh, oh, ab look, absolutely. <laughs> um, let's talk for a second about your book, um, and I should have done that for you. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, it's called Tracks in the Psychic Wilderness. Yes, right. And it's just out right. uh, from Element Books. Element Books. Where can people get it? Right now, it's in most of the bookstores that I've seen or heard about. 
but they're also on the website, the website that I have, uh, there are ways of contacting and, and getting the book. So there are, there are ways of, of getting the book right now. But B. Dalton... Now coming into the bookstores. B. B. Dalton, uh, all the big bookstores... Yeah, stores. I'm sure that it's creeping into those bookstores right now. Most of the uh, the big Barnes and Noble is carrying it pretty uh, widely. Well, so give it give it your best shot. Tracks in the Psychic Wilderness. What is in that book? Is it the history of uh, remote? No, this is this is why I wanted to get back to this book. Okay. Stargate is just a piece of this book. Right. It's just simply my personal observations. I made no attempt to go into the depth and get all the players and all that. That was beyond what I wanted to do. I did not want to do that, and I will not do something like that. It's just my perception, the activities I had, and some of my observations. So Stargate is a, a portion of the book, maybe maybe 20%. The, uh, the, I have a portion in the back end, which might be another 20%, which goes into a description of how I think most people can experience what we call remote viewing or sight dreaming or synchronicities. And I'll explain that in a moment. But the middle portion of the book is kind of the heart of the book, and it's a series of vignettes, short stories, where I try to illustrate, where I do illustrate what remote viewing is, okay. what psychic dreaming is, and what synchronicities are. All right. I see these all as interrelated together. Okay. Um, is there any instructional aspect to it? In other words, could a person read your book and try it themselves. Absolutely. That's what the last portion of the book is. Oh, boy. Now, I do not use... I'm not a very strict one when it comes to instructions. Uh, what I have there are observations and guidelines and recommendations of how people can go ahead and at least begin to open up this intuitive, uh, made-specific uh, phenomenon. Uh, so I have steps, not, not a protocol, not a recipe, but I have steps in how people can begin to investigate this potential of theirs. Now, for those that want to go further, then I recommend uh, how to do this from a tighter protocol point of view. But first, you have to catch good sigh, as the saying goes in the research community. And unless you know something is going on, there's no point setting up elaborate protocols. That can come later. So I, have, I have procedures and recommendations, yes. But I also have the key ingredients. And the key ingredients are these. It's motivation. You really, you really want to sit down and decide to do it. It's, it's intent. It's desire. It, it's, it's suspending disbelief. Those are the kinds of things I emphasize in that part of the book. All right. Go ahead. All right. Um, well, it sounds like a valuable book for everybody. Is it uh, hardcover or so softcover? It's hardcover. Hardcover. Yes. All right. Price? Uh, 1995. Oh, very reasonable. Is there a way? Uh, many times when I have people on, there is a phone number people can call to get the book if they cannot find it elsewhere. Do you have one of those? Uh, yes, I do, and I'll get it in a second. I just don't have it here at my fingertips, but we can get that. All right, good test. Can you now remote view that? Oh, I forgot. Numbers are not good. Right. I, I, for some people, <laughs> once in a while they are, but I think numbers are, are generally unreliable. Once in a while you see numbers and names come through. But I wouldn't put much money on that. Um, I, I agree. And by the way, most all of the remote viewers that I have had on when I have asked that question have responded that exact way. It's strange. Uh, the remote viewers all seem to agree on so much, and yet all hate each other's guts. Yeah, this is a disturbing part of it. And <laughs> this is one of the reasons why I have felt some pangs of sadness over the years 
why this should come about. And I think there's some inherent resistance that they have to admit that other people also can do this. There's almost like a, an ownership here, which I think is unfortunate. And this is exactly what I'm trying to get away from, this type of attitude in tracks in the psychic wilderness, to make it clear that most anyone can do some level of this, that no one is going to be set apart, unique, special, and all that. And I think this is what's happening. Some of these people are seeing themselves as too special. And when that happens, you get yourself in, into this ownership problem. Well, there's a little bit of the God complex. I'm sure that if you were given targets and you began to be successful at um, sensing and drawing targets, you would begin to think of yourself um, in, a, in a very different way. Some people, unfortunately, do drift into that direction. You're absolutely correct. And this is another reason I decided to write this book, one of the biggest reasons. And that is this balance. Uh, you, you're not, you don't want to get into this if you have any kind of inclinations toward, toward this type of personality. Because mm -hmm. they'll probably push you off the deep end. So you have to be very careful. You have to be grounded. You have to make sure that what you're doing, you keep your sense of humor. Uh, you don't get carried away with your own abilities. You don't get on the ego trip. And I'm, I'm really against people. Uh, I really feel strongly uh, anti-people that get into the, the business on, on an ego trip point of view. So, you know, I agree with you. There, there's a, there is a kind of complex, and you really have to guard against it. Well, then, that could almost be called a danger. And I've had other remote viewers tell me that there were some remote viewers in the official program that got really carried away and uh, had, had to be uh, ejected from the program. Do you know if that's true? Well, I don't know if it was ejected. You know, in the, in the environment we were in, particularly with the military people, uh, every couple of years you were up for reassignment anyway. So it was a, a convenient time to move people on. <laughs> that type of thing was happening. You were in the military. I, I know, but I, uh, yes, but most things are done for the convenience of the service. I know that sometimes that doesn't happen. I know many instances not related to this program. But, uh, you know, that you, you, you're right. That type of thing could happen. People end up in Tule Greenland. Exactly right. For, for that reason, Don. Right. Um, all right. Uh, oh, and your, your appearance on ABC's Good Morning America. What's, what's coming Tuesday, March 10th? What are you going to do? Talk about the book. And uh, I'll touch briefly. I'm sure it'll come up on Stargate. But since that's not the main focus of the book, I'll be going into the, the field in general to, to overall uh, discussion on, on the nature of the phenomenon, on synchronicities, on uh, psychic dreaming, that type of thing. I have a, I have a whole spectrum of, of things I'll be talking about. And I really believe, Art, that most people who are interested in seeing if they have this intuition made specific, as I'm beginning to call it, I, I suspect that most people... I uh, can experience this in the dream state easier than any other state. So I, I, this is where I'm, I'm recommending people begin looking. So uh, it's an easy thing to do, and most people can at least go to sleep in dreams. All you have to do is remember it. Dale, I'm going to tell you a story that the audience is probably sick to death of, but it's, it's my one honest-to-God, I, I know what happened to me experience, and I would like your take on it. Wonderful. Lived in Santa Barbara, California. Worked at a radio station. I've been in radio all my life. Lived in a little garden apartment, came home one day from work, sat down, I'm a news junkie, put on the evening news, and I sat there watching the evening news. It was the type garden apartment in Santa Barbara where you, you had a sliding door, a big double sliding door that would open, and I could look out at the street where I would park my car, which was right in front of the apartment, so I could always keep an eye on my car. Right. But uh, the curtains were closed, and I was watching the news. All of a sudden, 
I had, the only way I can describe it is ocean waves, tremendous giant ocean waves washing over me mentally saying, hey, someone's going to hit your car. Somebody, something terrible is about to occur to your car. Right. And it kept washing over me so strongly, and I finally I said a word I can't repeat here, and I got up, opened the curtain, looked out at my car, said another word I can't repeat here, went back and sat down and started watching the news again. Thirty seconds goes by. All of this begins washing over me again and again and again. I got angry with myself. I walked back over, um, I looked out the window, there was my car looking just fine. Here's a guy walking down the sidewalk uh, out to out, out to uh, toward my car. He gets in the car in front of mine, starts his engine, puts it in reverse, and slams into my car. <laughs> I, I tell you, Dale, it scared me so so badly that I sank to my knees. But I I was mindful enough to get up and yell out, you know, open the open the sliding door and yell out. Hey, I saw that. I've got your license number. He said, I'm stopping, I'm stopping. And that's all there was to it. But there was no question about it, Dale. Something was really telling me what about was about to happen, and then it happened. What, what was that? Wonderful. Uh, this is exactly the kind of thing I address in Traction of Psychic Wilderness, because I think this is really where most people can best benefit from opening up to their psi talents. I suspect that we all, at all times, are kind of scanning around in the, to see what's coming our way in the future. In this case, you probably picked up the intention of the man, and you sensed what he would then be doing when he got into his car. It was huh. an alert for you. These are not uncommon things. The, the research literature is full of these types of uh, little premonitions. Well, wait a minute. How could that man know that he was about to go out and hit my car. I think subconsciously he was probably upset about something, and there was something in his in his psyche that that was reckless at the time. So I'm just giving a possible explanation. Ah, so I could have been picking up on his reckless feeling, and yeah. I made the connection between his reckless feeling and his being parked in front of me. That's one possibility. Yes. Uh, and there, are, there are others. You can just look at it as a straightforward perception of a future coming your way without looking into the psychodynamics of the man involved. You, you can do that, too. But I'm inclined, when I, when I look at these situations, and I've had things like this happen to me. I've talked to many people that in, in my workshops that have these exact kinds of things happen. And I'm a little surprised that you would react with fear, but a lot of people do. And it's a natural part of ourselves, and this is what I'm trying to do in Traction in the Psychic Wilderness, to, to get the fear component out of us. But I don't know how that happened to me. It's never happened to me before. It has never happened to me since. It, uh, and it was so overwhelming and so unambiguous yeah. um, that, um, you know, new things scare you. And, and seeing something coming, come true like that, uh, it was just it was too much for me. Right? right. Well, right. See, not knowing exactly what your frame of mind was during the day or whatever, you might have been in a very uh, spaced out feeling, and a poetic kind of mind. You know, you, you may have been just thinking, dreaming, that kind of thing. I was, was very the, creative. I was watching the news. Yeah, but... You Peter know. Jennings, as I recall. Oh, okay. I, okay, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, there was, was simply nothing special about the moment. I wasn't uh, okay. in any sort of altered state. I wasn't concentrating in any way. I couldn't stop it. It yeah. just, it, you know, it was overwhelming. Well, then, then it just, it, one of those things, I, all I can say is it just happened. But it, it, I think it tips the, it shows the tip of the iceberg 
on how you could probably draw onto that type of intuitive sensing at any time. You just have to put it aside and, and not be afraid of it. And this is, this is what I'm trying to say in my book. And this is why I open it up to the dreaming or dreaming mind. This is why I open it up to synchronicities, which I view as a very dynamic form of intuition. We, we don't really know why we go here or there, but all of a sudden there's a thing we're looking for. So we, we are subconsciously driven, and we don't know why. What, what do you mean by synchronicity? Synchronicity is, is one of my favorite experiences. And it's a coin term by Carl Jung uh, almost a century ago where he noted when he was working with some of his uh, clients, he was a psychiatrist uh, working in Zurich, uh, yes. Switzerland, that many times things would happen in the session that, that, that were, couldn't possibly be explained by normal coincidences because they had specific meaning. Uh, so that the, the, the timing of the incident and the significance of the incident led Jung to think that they, these were synchronistic. They, they somehow happened due to an unknown principle. He called it some acausal synchronistic principle. Even in quantum physics, we have terms uh, like that, quantum synchronicity, for example. Mm -hmm. So he coined this and looked at this from a uh, human point of view, that people are sometimes drawn into situations which are way beyond chance that satisfy some need at that time. Uh, and I see these as incidents that our subconscious mind has prompted us into. It's almost like a self-fulfilling wish. So I have many examples, some examples in my book, and I think many people experience these routinely. Now, an interesting question, uh, since we don't have time to go to the phones before the top of the hour break anyway, and that is, do you think that this ability, this inherent ability, is something that we are evolving, keyword evolving into, or some long lost ability that we are regaining, uh, or simply, I mean, what class do you think we've always had it? Is there more of it now? Are people becoming more psychic? I, that's a very good question, and uh, I'll answer this by kind of paraphrasing what Ed Mitchell said in the introduction to my book. And he sees these abilities as a reflection of our first sense, not our sixth sense. And his perception is that these were fundamental and came before all of the other senses developed. Something be... very old now being recovered then. Yes, and I see this as kind of a survival situation. Do you know Ed Mitchell, halfway to the moon, tried an experiment? I, I interviewed uh, Dr. Mitchell. And he told me all about that. Uh, listen, we're at the top of the arrow. When we come back, we're going to have to go to the phones. All right. All right, stay right there. Um, my guest <laughs> is Dale Graff, the man who coined the term Stargate. It's all about remote viewing. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More somewhere in time coming up.
to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. My guest is Dale Graff. It represents a very unusual opportunity for you to ask somebody who knows, somebody who actually coined the term Stargate, was D-O-D-D-I-A, uh, telling you that right up front, uh, but tells us that remote viewing, remote sensing, whatever you want to call it, is absolutely real. If you have a question, come now. Coast to Coast AM sure sounds great in the middle of the night. But you know, you don't have to be nocturnal to enjoy this amazing show. The Coast Insider is your key to a normal life. For 15 cents a day, you can wake up refreshed knowing that last night's show is waiting for you with podcasting. Listen on your way to work and again on the way home. Or listen to one of over a thousand archived shows from the past three years. As a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Nouri and special guests. The Coast Insiders Club is a must-have feature for all Coast to Coast AM listeners. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. You'll sleep like a baby, knowing you'll never miss your favorite guests and topics ever again. Remember, a one-year subscription comes out to only 15 cents a day. Sign up today at coasttocoastam.com. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM. Not everything is cut and dry, and I think people will look at events and say who profits, who benefits, and then they back into it with their theories, which many people would say are conspiracies. I mean, there's no question there's a facet of government that wants to take guns off the street, not just assault weapons, but pure right. guns. They want to get them out of Americans' hands. In order to do that, you need tragedies and events like we had in Connecticut in order to create the stimulus to get the legislature and people behind that in order to say, you know what, they're right, we don't need this, we don't need that. So I think when you look at that whole picture, as bizarre as it sounds, because you cannot see a conspiracy at every event, but you will look at these events and say, see, this is what they've created in order to get people to think this way. Bottom line is people don't trust other people. And that's why they create all these things. Somewhere in Time with Art Bell continues, courtesy of Premier Networks. Uh, once again, uh, the one-time director of um, Operation Stargate, the Stargate program, Dale Graff. Uh, Dale... Yes. Here, here's a very general question for you. All right. Uh, we have a deteriorating environment in America, in the world, really. Uh, we have uh, new diseases, flesh-eating diseases, all this hard little stuff running around. We've got um, new organisms in the estuaries of North Carolina that are killing fish and making people sick. We have air that's foul. We have ultraviolet that's pouring in. Where I'm going with this is to ask you, as some remote viewers have done, they have looked at our future as a planet and made some rather dire forecasts. Is that aspect of remote viewing, in your opinion, possible? I believe, like I said earlier, 
that it is possible to tap into probable futures. Uh-huh. And I think sometimes when people do this, whenever whenever you're working with anyone that's working with a projection, you really need to know quite a bit about that, that own individual psychodynamics. What is the nature of the individual? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the psychological state of the individual? Because unfortunately, when you get into these way out future scenarios, a lot of that personal stuff comes in. And it's very hard to filter out a doom and gloom type personality from uh, that might perceive everything negatively uh, from someone optimistic that might perceive it uh, too uh, too good. So I'm, I'm saying you've got to find a balance, and it's very difficult to find an individual that can perceive anything in, in remote viewing or science space without having a little bit of their own personal psychodynamics get into the into the picture. And I would I would place any any forecast or any projection that that really looks totally negative in in, in a very um, a guarded perspective because my my suspicion is you're seeing a lot of the person's own uh, perception coming in. Grain of salt. Yeah. All right. Uh, I wouldn't say grain of thought, but you have to be a little, a little careful with it because you can find other people that have an optimistic outlook, and you're not going to get anything like that. So I would suggest, if anything, one would pool results from people that have a track record in precognitive stuff. That would be the best approach, not to rely on any single individual, right. but, to, but to go to other a variety of people and see what the consensus is. All right, grain of thought, folks. Um, first time caller line, you're on the air with Dale Graff, top of the morning. Where are you, please? Uh, Concord, California. Concord, all right. Welcome to the program. Yeah, Art, by the way, your studio cam looks great. The best uh, I've ever seen. I worked so hard on it. Thank you. You do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, I Anyway, sir, um, it's a pleasure talking to you, and I must admit I'm not familiar with you at all. I'm just starting to get back into this. But about 16 years ago, uh, a gentleman back east in Michigan, by the way, he's my uh, old scoutmaster who I I love very much and I keep very much in contact with. <clears throat> not to knock, uh, you know, get a little plug to the Boy Scouts there, but um, he told us we were, me and him were sitting back in the campfire one night where he told me a story about. Uh, and I, I may be wrong about where this is at, but I believe it was Chinese monks that used to, uh, I guess, I didn't know, I wasn't familiar with the term, but they would remotely view battles going on for, for the local king, I guess. And um, some of the things he was able to tell me is that they were so accurate, and they were doing this from hundreds of thousands of miles away. This is what's so amazing about this, <clears throat> that they, they, could, they were so accurate they could tell them exactly where the troops were how to attack them, uh, what supplies they were, they were, you know, capable of, what, you know, in other words, what they have with them, et cetera, how many numbers, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't just one person. From what I understood, it was a, a whole team of monks. Boy, does that sound like remote uh, viewing or what? And this is like, <laughs> what's amazing about this, if I remember right, this is like 800 to 1,000 years ago. And I'm wondering, is this where the government maybe got our, their inspiration from? Because obviously... <laughs> They don't have the quacks back then, so to speak, that the, that we do now, and you, you kind of. Oh, don't this. be so sure about that. Well, I mean. Hey, they gotta, were they gotta, were hey they were reading palms and oh, stuff. Oh, I wasn't way trying to be critical, then. but I'm not trying to be too critical. But I mean, you see, you got to you got to today. You have to we, you separate the chaff from the grain, right? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, exactly. I, I, I think your question though is superb, actually, and uh, your story is, and that does really sound like remote viewing for strategic purposes, doesn't it? Dale. Yes, you're fading a little bit on me. I almost didn't hear you. But, uh, yes, I would agree with that. And why should it not? You know, if we are now rediscovering this type of thing, 
uh, that's about what it might be, that people with the right mental discipline from the yoga, various yoga techniques or whatever, could, could very easily have stumbled upon this application centuries ago. Yes, that's what it sounds like to me. All right, I don't want to fade on you. Are you hearing me? Okay, o- I got your back now. All right. Shining loud and clear. Right, I'm, I'm sure I understood the question. All right, wild card, All right. Line, uh, wild card line, you're on the air with Dale Graham. Hello. Hello. Yes. Where are you, sir? I'm in Omaha. Omaha, Nebraska, right? Uh, right, Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Um, I'm g- not for <clears throat> ego purposes, but I want to give you just a little bit of my background. Um, I did my graduate work in general relativity and completed um, quantum electrodynamics, two-dimensional, with Feynman. He came up to UC Berkeley for a seminar. Um, Now, that is going to sound real strange when everything else evolves from that. Do you you have a question, sir? First off, I have a a couple of questions. Has anybody heard of the Keys of Enoch? Yes. Um, Someone showed it to me. What exactly is it? All right, well, uh, you should uh, go and read the book, um, and, and then you will know, uh, would be my answer. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dale Graff. Hello. Hi, this is Joe from Jersey. Um, I just had a question for Dale. Have you ever heard of or seen any evidence towards the fact of the power of, of suggesting being that you could suggest something to somebody and they would act on that suggestion without actually having to tell them by just thinking? Or transmitting a thought. Yeah, that, that, we were talking about that earlier called remote influencing. In other words, being able to influence somebody else. Right, because I had an experience when I was younger that has never happened again, sort of like your little psychic car incident. Yeah. And um, I still to this day cannot get it out of my head because it was so real and there were so many suggestions that I had made that it just happened that it couldn't have been coincidence. And I was wondering if he had actually gotten any evidence of that sort as well. Well, it's like you said, Art, earlier we had talked a little bit about this, and it is possible, I I believe, uh, providing that the suggestion is acceptable by the other people, uh, that that this could happen, that you could suggest an action and they they would go and do it. I've seen examples of this, I believe, in in dog training, where uh, sometimes people uh, just think about the command and and the dog, the well-trained dog, will, will respond. Oh, I've seen that too. That, that's a whole other area, and I, you know, I have been a real advocate of, I guess, what I call telepathy with animals, but I think there is no question about it. I have three cats. I'm a cat person, mm-hmm. and um, I absolutely can communicate with my cats. I mean, yeah. I, 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 can, I can go to my cat. I've got a wild cat, feral cat, and uh, this feral cat, my, myself, over the last two years since I trapped it, have become very close. And I'm telling you right now, I can go up to that cat, and I can project irritation, and that cat will get up and, man, it's gone. Or I can go up and project pure love, and the cat will lie down, start purring by itself, turn over, and give me its belly. Now, Uh I can do that. Yeah. In fact, there was an experiment done at the Parapsychology Foundation uh, connected with J.B. Ryan's uh, lab many years ago by Keith Harari where he was able to influence uh, the movement of a cat uh, uh, and verify through statistical methods. This was in a laboratory setting. Mm-hmm. There's one other little thing. Um, 2020 did an incredible segment 
an absolutely incredible and in-depth investigation proving, and I mean proving, uh, with blind tests, uh, they would go to this person's home, and they would film the the house pet, the dog in most cases, Mm -hmm. and they would have the person um, start home early, mm-hmm. come home early at a, at a totally random time, mm-hmm. and the dog would begin um, uh, acting in a very, I don't, I don't want to say irritated, but anticipatory manner, mm-hmm. uh, going to the door, jumping up and down, barking. Th- that dog knew when their owner started home. They proved that. Oh, yes. And this goes back to what you had mentioned earlier, and we talked about the first sense. You know, we're certainly not going to be that um, held up on ourselves to think that animals don't have some type of uh, sensing of this nature, too. Well, but that begins to say something about the nature of animals that would create an awfully large debate, wouldn't it? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Although, again, it depends on how you define this phenomenon. If you're talking about it like uh, an extended sense... Uh, what, it, what it's really talking about more, I think, is, is the idea of, of interconnectedness, uh, the fact that there really may be some kind of consciousness field. A mass, a mass consciousness? Yeah, something Col- or, 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 better, better phrase, collective consciousness? Yeah, that, that's on the right track, or some kind of field consciousness uh, or quantum consciousness. There's something that suggests that consciousness is not all in, in the brain, and there's some type of overlapping feature in the universe. That, that laps over into uh, all creatures, you know, great and small, so to speak. Well, That's, again... I think a very important implication. I do, too. And, and I say again that if you believe that, if you embrace that, and I do, then I think it, it, there's a great controversy uh, with regard to our interaction with and treatment of animals. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Now we now we we see uh, as as part of our larger whole, not just some some disintegrated unit here and there. Um, Absolutely, exactly. All right, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dale Graff and Art Bell. Hello, where are you, please? I'm from Southern California. My name's Steve. Hi, Steve. I have a question or a couple of questions for Dale. Um, I'm very psychic, and I come by it naturally, and uh, not too many people know about it, but uh occasionally when I'll get a premonition and I dig into it and I uh I I can get a lot of really good details and uh I've had several occasions where uh I was able to predict crimes and they happened exactly the way that I said they were predict crimes yes that somebody's going to get hurt Oh, I see. I, I, I don't want to get into any of the All right, well, that's, that, that is precognition. And uh, so... So what is it you're asking? Well, I want to be able to reach my full potential. Uh, I was thinking about going into the law enforcement field with what I can do because, uh, like, the last couple times that I've done it, I was able to uh, get robbers. They were apprehended based on the information that I came up with. Well, uh, here, here would be my advice to you, Dale. See if you concur. If you were to go to law enforcement agency and say, I want to go to the police academy, and my qualifications are that I can predict when a crime is going to occur, uh, you uh, had better uh, be sure you secure your uh, uh, present job uh, before you try that. So what do you think, Dale? 
Yeah, because what's going to happen is you're going to end up being a suspect, even if you are correct. Right. That's happened. Uh, there was a case in Los Angeles some years ago where a woman was locked up because she perceived uh, the details of a, of a murder, which turned to be true. Really? The best approach, I think, is to keep a good track record and make sure you work with other people so you can verify the results and prepare a track record. And, and when you get the, the stuff documented, then you might want to contact some other group. But it might be best initially for you to have some kind of buffer between you and, and the, the police officers until you, you get comfortable and, can, and have uh, confidence in one another. So uh, my recommendation is, yeah, proceed, but be very, very cautious and also mm -hmm. do uh, other projects, not just the, the law enforcement type thing. Do, do some uh, simple um, verification tasks, too. All right. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Dale Graff and Art Bell. Hello. Yes. Uh, good evening, Art. You're going to have to speak up good and loud. You're okay. Not... Good evening, Art. Hi. And good evening, Mr. Graff. Hello. Hi. Uh, my name is Andrea, and I'm calling from New Jersey. Okay. Can you hear me now? Just fine. Okay. I don't have a question for Mr. Graff, but I would like to relate an experience that I had several years ago. This experience is in um, relationship to the theory which Mr. Graff mentioned before on the show um, about psychic ability having to do with looking back from the future That's right. in order to make a prediction in the present time. Sure. Okay. Uh, several years ago, my husband and I uh, were interested in buying a home. And uh, I went to a local psychic. She told me, yes, we were going to purchase a home and that it would be behind a um, garden center. Three years down the road, we did purchase a home. It was not behind a garden center. But the day of the closing at the lawyer's office, we were traveling back to our apartment, and uh, we passed a garden center, which she had described in great detail. Um, and at that moment, I was thinking of her making the prediction about buying a home, and I think there's some connection where in the past she had seen me in front of the ah, center. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, at, at, the, uh, at the same moment in I, time, I think that's probably. what she picked up. On. I've got you. Uh, does that sound right to you, Dale? I think I understand what was said. There's a little faint connection here. All right, well, okay, she uh, went to a psychic. The psychic said you're going to buy a home near a garden center. Yeah. Well, a year or two later when she bought the home, yeah. uh, there was no garden center. But while she was on the way uh, to her apartment, I guess before the move, yeah. they passed the exact described garden center. Right. Now, she said... Could it be that that psychic was looking at me, at, you know, in the same time frame that I was buying my home, and um, and and uh, simply missed it a little bit, but perceived me seeing that garden center in the future? Yeah, it's like we were saying earlier. The the, uh, the individual perceives the future coming toward him or her. Uh, I'm sure there's still some probabilities at work here, but uh, things seemed relatively fixed, and the the prediction then generally came true. Yeah, I, I can see some connection here, yeah. Yeah, me too. All right, hold on, Dale. Uh, Dale Graff is my guest. He's got another segment to go. If you have a question, that's what we're here for. All I can say is there's a lot more out there than we understand. That you can believe. This is Coast to Coast AM. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time.
Continues, courtesy of Premier Networks. I love this song and A Secret Place in Time. You know, you've got to wonder if eventually, as remote viewing or sensing is developed, whether there will be any more secret places in time. <laughs> Take Coast to Coast AM with you anywhere on your mobile phone. Coasttocoastam.com can be conveniently accessed on your iPhone and most Android platforms, which means that you are never without your Coast to Coast AM fix. If you're a Coast to Coast Insider subscriber, you can listen to the show live in the middle of the night or previous shows 24-7. Plus, you can browse all the great photos, videos, and news stories. Keeping up with Coast to Coast AM has never been easier with our Coast Insider service. Get a new view of the world with Coast to Coast AM. At this point, I'm not happy with the direction that government is taking. I'm happy with the fact that Americans are beginning to wake up and stand up and do what they have to do and shout and scream and blog. And I think that's critical. And I think that's what's going to save the republic. I think in the long run, as we go through all this stuff, it's the people who will save us and our country will remain strong.
You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 4th, 1998. Dale E. Graff has authored Tracks in the Psychic Wilderness. That's a great title. And uh, if you would like it, it is available generally um, in bookstores around the country. Uh, and if they don't have it, usually in a bookstore they have the little computers, and you just uh, 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 say the title or even the name Dale Graff, and they can reference it, look it up, and get it to you uh, post-haste. It sounds like a wonderful book. All right, uh, Dale, welcome back. All right, I'm here. Here we go. First, first time caller line, you're on the air with Art Bell and Dale Graff. Good morning. Hi. Um, I kind of had a question. I'm a little bit late for the subject, but my grandfather was in one of the LSD experimental groups. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily it was after my father was born. So um, I just kind of, the reason why I was calling is because I wondered if you all had, if either of you had any idea why they were experimenting with it um, in the way that they did. My grandfather described to me um, there was a classroom setting with about 15 to 20 people, and they locked him in the room and dosed him all. And uh, apparently his supervisor uh, really, really, really wanted to be involved, and his superiors didn't want him to be, but since he was so persistent, they went ahead and gave it to him. Needless to say, he completely freaked out, my grandpa said. But... Um, he, uh, you know, described to me, you know, what the other people were doing, but, you know, I just really, you know, kind of after he told me everything that happened, I, you know, I wondered why or what was the point, you know, well, what did you're, they Well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that, and so will Dale. Uh, the name of the project was MK Ultra, and what were they trying to do? They were trying to learn how to, and if it was possible, to control people. Uh, remember our agencies, intelligence agencies, and uh, military are in the business of controlling people. Uh, it's why there was MKUltra. It's why there was Stargate. It's why there probably are lots of things, if not exactly like these, uh, still going on because they're in the business of control. Dale, is that true? No, I disagree with you. Stargate oh, cool. never had any, anything to do with controlling people, never. Well, no, but MK Ultra. Yeah, right. Just don't mix Stargate with something like that. There's no correlation. MK Ultra, I know a little bit about. I'm not sure if that was the ultimate purpose, but it might it might be. And that was when back in the '60s. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, that that certainly would would have been. Well, uh... Remember back then too, there was so much uncertainty about what these these effects of these drugs were before they were clamped down on. You know, remember Tim Leary and all that. Oh yes. So uh, there's a lot of naivety going on. So it may, a lot of that might have been just just exploratory, uh, without let, knowing let, what the purpose was. Let, yes. Let me run this by you. We we have touched briefly this morning on remote influencing. Yeah, now, but see, I don't call that – Stargate never did that. I, I, no, I understand. Okay. I, I'm with you all the way. I, this okay. is a, a sort of a speculative question. Okay, right? If, if remote influencing was possible, you and I both know damn well they would be doing it or trying to do it. And when I say they, I mean the DIA, uh, the CIA, um, the alphabet agencies. Somebody – if this was possible, they would be trying to do it. I would have my doubts. There's, there's so much going on right now with uh, 
human use and all that. Um, you know, again, it, 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 even even without my opinion, I, I think the remote influencing potential of adversely affecting someone, whether yes. friend or foe, is, is just the same. Ah, but that was not the spirit of the question. The spirit of the question was make the assumption that a remote influencing, even on the negative side, is possible. If that were so, um, our intelligence agencies surely would pursue it. I don't think so. I, I oh, think really. No, I think the, the it was such it would be such a huge step from the few statistical deviations of what's been found in the laboratory to uh, does this thing really lead to something practical, uh, which which I really doubt. Oh yeah, but my question assumed that it was practical, and then and then asks about the I suppose the ethics of uh, intelligence agencies. Yeah, I I I can't uh, speak to that. The, uh, the I just don't think. Anyone would really sit down and purposely do that type of thing using using mental techniques. Just an opinion I have. Okay, uh, and that's and that's today's intelligence agencies versus. Yeah, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, it was another issue. <laughs> All right, um, wild card line. You're on the air with Dale Graff and Art Bell. Good morning. Okay, uh, I wanted to make a comment that the one type of remote influencing uh, would be like prayer. And to technical, as you like, radionics. And then also, another form of remote influencing, which it seems like exotic type, would be like dreamscaping, entering into someone's dreams. Yeah, right. But in a dream thing, that's usually an agreed upon situation. So it's like a consent. Uh, you're into the dream, or another way of looking at it is this. The, there's an intent for a, uh, a, a dream image. Somebody has an image in mind that wants the other person to dream about. And I have examples of this attraction in the wilderness, by the way. Okay. Um, so it's an agreed-upon thing. So the dreamer may have perceived through his own psi abilities, his own uh, natural ESP abilities, what the intended objective is and simply incorporated into the dream of his own so there's a question of where is it coming from is it is it being added in by the dreamer through his own ability, or is it being inserted by another person indeed because once the permission has been granted there is the conscious uh... right once the permission is granted then it becomes a mutual type of thing and i've seen many many examples of co-dreams in fact there's been a lot of some research done on that uh, where people have identical dreams, uh, and these can be sought, it can be very beneficial. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I don't call that remote influencing. It's, it's in, a, in a sense, it is, but it's, and it's an agreed upon type of situation. It's like just going to a party together in a way. So, I, I can I can see that that that's a possible thing. All right. Uh, in order to have a negative, that that we, that takes us into another area. It does. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dale Graff. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Fine. I'm Mike from Atlanta. Yes, sir. Uh, I've got about two questions for him, about three questions. Uh, the first one is, that does he see past the gloom and doom of the 2004 as the other uh, other ones do? Or All right. No, I, I'm willing to ask that. Uh, without mentioning names, uh, Dale, there are remote viewers, more than one, I might add, that perceive there to be some sort of block, some sort of uh, discontinuity, they call it, out of ways around 2002 or 2000 something or another, past which uh, they cannot see. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that. You know, it's. I, I think uh, we need to know. Like I said earlier, uh, 
what the perception of the people doing the projects are. It may be that one of them has a, a very strong opinion that there's going to be some catastrophe and that all the others are picking up the same thought. Sure. So, I, 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 again, I would say for anything that has to do with gloom and doom or any kind of forecast, even if it's peaches and cream, you need to look at a variety of sources, not, not just uh, uh, people, uh, one or a few people here and there, remote viewers or whatever. All right. Um, my next question is, can you, uh, like, hurt somebody or kill somebody through a, a thought? Uh, well, th this one we've covered half a dozen times already. Uh, remote influencing may be possible, but uh, Dale does not believe that that kind of negative action is possible. Uh, I had one experience that happened. Um, I had a, gra a step-grandmother I didn't agree with, and we had really had it out. And if for like four weeks, I mean, she was a healthy woman, too, and she was pretty wealthy, so she was in good shape. And um, I had I had really thought like this real bad thoughts for a long time that something would happen to her. Well, anyway, within about a month later, she died of a brain aneurysm, and I felt like it was my fault. <laughs> so... Well, another way of looking at it, you, you just want to have picked up in a, a kind of a precognitive style uh, mode of what, what was actually uh, on its way. Because usually when you have those kinds of medical situations, there's a, there's a uh, predisposition in that, in that direction. Either that or you killed her. I was... <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think that, you know, that puts a guilt trip on people. Yeah, I, I don't, know. I don't think that's possible, really. Uh, in some my cultures, you may, you may buy into this system, and, and it can happen, but then it's a cultural acceptance thing. For example, voodoo. Voodoo uh, simply requires that the person uh, that you are trying to affect believe uh, believes that you can do that, and once they do, you got them. I think there's a lot to be said uh, by that. I'm sure not in everyone in that culture, but perhaps to those uh, that are particularly prone uh, to that um, negative kind of image. Yeah, that might happen there, but it, I think it's a cultural overlay that really drives uh, even even the remote possibility of that kind of thing happening. But, caller, to make you feel better, this is uh, probably uh, the world's expert on all of this, and uh, you didn't kill her. Okay, and this, this last question is: we, You talked about it too about animals having the, you know, the re like remote viewing thing. Or yes. they did a thing on Animal Planet, and um, you know, it's a station called Animal Planet, and they they showed a scientific study, and they, this dog, they, this woman came at three different times, and this dog was at the front door oh, every yeah. time yep, waiting yep, on yep, her. Yep, we covered that earlier. Um, I know we, we could do and will do uh, programs on that. Um, Believe me, we will. Uh, West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dale Graff. Hi. Hi. Good morning, Art and Dale. This is Brett from Hello. Santa Cruz, California. Yes, sir. Um, I have a lot of things I would like to ask about synchronicity, um, a lot of other questions. I will narrow, narrow it down to one question for time's sake. Uh, Dale, my question is, to what extent would you say remote viewing owes its origin to the teachings of uh, Dr. Young? You're talking about synchronicity. You said, uh, you said yeah. remote viewing, right? Uh, well, I don't. There's, I don't think there's any any connection with the with the, uh, the remote viewing and Jung. The, the indirect connection because Jung became very interested in in psychic in the psi effects. He became very interested in the ESP research at Duke University in the early 30s. So he had a suspicion that there was a connection. I see, but uh, with Remote viewing itself, there's there's no direct connection with uh, C.G. Young. No, not as it's, no, not with not that term, and not with Jung. 
I uh, see. If you want to take this into a more basic psi link up, um, yeah, it is, there is a connection. But you know, I'm going back in history here. It, it, remote viewing came much later. The term. I see. Is a, a generic connection, but but Jung didn't start that one off. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Thank, thank you, you very much for the call and uh, take care. On the first time caller line, you're on the air with Dale Graf and Art Bell. Hi. Hi. Where are you? Ontario, Canada. Ontario. All right. Um, I wanted to uh, talk about. I never heard about remote viewing until your show, but I've experienced it. Um, one thing I was going to say before. I've recently gone online and I've uh, noticed that um, my psi, uh, what you call PSI ability has heightened and I wonder if it's a protective device but what I wanted to ask Dale about was I'm um, having images come to me when I relax and I'm not trying for it and I don't know these people and they're so clear uh, like looking at a picture but it's in your mind and, and I wonder is there some way you can block it? All right. Uh, oh, there's a good question. Yeah, sure. Uh, That's a very good question. And in fact, when I do my workshops, which is a, a, it's described in my webpage, and it's sort of an integrated general approach, looking at a variety of, of side topics, not only remote viewing, uh, looking more where people naturally resonate. But that's one of the things we discuss, the pace. Uh, and if people spontaneously have these experiences and are troubled by them, then I would suggest that you go through visualizations or intention exercises to, to not have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, having exercise and balance and being grounded, as some people would say, is also helpful. But it's simply intending these things not to occur many times will uh, will take care of, uh, of these situations. If they prevail, then you might have to, to deal with uh, someone that, that's familiar with, with working in, in this area. All right, she said something else that... Uh it prompts a question. She said, you know, I've been um, noticing more since I've been on the Internet. Is, uh, the, is the Internet... Oh, I didn't hear that part. That's an important Yeah, yeah. Point is the Internet uh, kind of like a, a real-world collective consciousness, and uh, might it affect uh, the larger collective consciousness eventually? Well, I'm certainly the last one to, to say no to that. It's a, it's a very good point, Art. There's another way of looking at it too. Looking, being on the internet, being in front of the computer screen, you're giving your, your visual apparatus a huge dose of mental imagery. Oh yeah. So you can, it ranges all the way from the mundane after image, all the way to uh, storing up uh, memories, uh, you know, from either from the internet or elsewhere. So you're exercising your visual image apparatus, and that might be the the, the thing that's really stirring you up. Uh, Michael Crichton, uh, the author, wrote something that has always fascinated me. He said uh, that it may well be that the Internet is not a good thing because eventually uh, it will stifle entrepreneurism, it will stifle original thought, and eventually we'll get to the point where whether you're in Tokyo or Bangkok or uh, Cape Town or New York, there are going to be the top ten ideas. In other words... It'll actually stifle us. Yeah, I, I can understand that, and maybe that can happen if we, we if we let the internet or other activities uh, become totally dominant in our life, and uh, you know, even television, for example. You, know, you need breaks from this stuff. You need to go back to your own basic uh, perceptions, your own basic uh, mentality. So, you, if, if you do nothing but sit in front of the internet, and many people do that, now I can I can see where Krypton's concern is. 
Um, we have had a wonderful four hours. It's been four hours. Uh, Are you kidding? Four we, hours? No, it's been four hours we've been at this, right? Oh, now, I'm just breaking up, Art. <laughs> I want to warn you. When you go on ABC's Good Morning America this uh, coming Tuesday, March 10th, right. they, you will not have four hours. And, I know that. <laughs> you're going to I'm have worried to, about that. Exactly. You've got to do it, you've got to do it in sound bites or, right. or it doesn't get done. Well, I got you. Okay. Uh, east of the Rockies, without much time, you're on the air with Dale Graff and Art Bell. Hi. Yeah, I want to comment about MK Ultra very quickly. Yes. Uh, first, I'd like to say I've probably eaten acid about 200 times in the last few, couple, three years. But I thought MK Ultra was about trying to have war without bloodshed. But I'm just wondering if you ever tried LSD. Uh, I've had it where I've had like amazing like movies in my mind and just like amazing things. I think it's amazing. Well, um, of course it is. It it, it is amazing. Uh, it's a very dark area indeed, and I really have no um, comment on it. How about you, Dale? Okay, what what was the thing that caused that? I missed that point. Well, he was. He, I think he said he dropped acid 200 times or something. Oh, okay. Well, that that could could certainly weaken the neural connections and and uh, and loosen up uh, the picture making apparatus. Or thing. to be or to be fair, it it could make neural connections that otherwise weren't made. That's I mean, another way of doing it: remove the inhibitors. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty dark area, Dale. Sure it, is. It really has been a pleasure. Listen, everybody, the book is uh, Attracts in the Psychic Wilderness. Go to your bookstore, ask for it. The author is Dale Graff, and uh, what a pleasure. And the book can also be ordered through the webpage and through Deanna's Bookhouse on the webpage, too. That's right, and we will keep the uh, link up on the website. Uh, by all means, he's got a... Boy, what a website you've got. Great. Well, I have to thank Deanna for that. A great web mistress. Sure is. <laughs> thank you, my friend. Hey, I enjoyed it, Art. Good night. Good night. All right, that's it, folks. We are out of time. Uh, now, tomorrow night and the next night, we've got wing dingers for you. You don't want to miss them. I'm Art Bell from the high, thankfully dry desert. This is Coast to Coast AM. Good night.